You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour. Oh, it is Monday, donks. This is the camera here, apparently. What's up, y'all? It's Monday, the 21st of January, 2019. All right. And this is the MMA Hour right here on MMAfighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Boy, what a show we have planned for you guys today. Not one, but two in-studio guests. Here in just moments, we'll have Henry Cejudo's coach, Eric Albaracin. At 1 o'clock, he just retired from the UFC. Dennis Bermudez will be here at 1.20. Alan Crowder, he defeated Greg Hardy in the co-main event via disqualification. Plus, per usual, we'll get to your tweets using the hashtag TheMMAHour, as well as your calls using the number 844-866-2468. And I've got a great Monday morning analyst planned for you donks as well. All right, so I believe Eric is here. Let me put that away. I believe Eric is here, and we're going to move him in studio here just momentarily. I think they're micing him up. Uh, how about that UFC on ESPN event, right? Pretty good, I think I would say, all in all. Uh, it was a little nerve-wracking when they had to kill time at the end of the Duke-UVA game. Good thing it didn't go to overtime. There wasn't a lot of other channel op- uh, options for them to push that broadcast, but that was a great lead-in. By the way, if you've not seen Zion Williamson, I don't know what you're doing. Um, but I think generally the ESPN embrace was, I'd give it like B plus, A minus. I mean, I'm sure that folks there want a higher grade. And again, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with the numbers apparently adding nearly 600,000 subscribers uh, for ESPN plus over the weekend. Some people having some ESPN plus issues, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later in the sound off, um, or maybe with some of your tweets. But uh uh, mine was flawless. The event went off really well. It felt bigger than it ordinarily would have been. Like, it would have been a big event no matter what, but the ESPN handshake, so to speak, made it feel a little bit bigger. The crowd in Brooklyn was pretty good. So, all in all, a great start to the ESPN era. And I have to say, Henry Cejudo, <laughs> the crown jewel of the whole experience, to be quite honest with you, I wasn't sure how that fight was going to go. I guess I was leaning a little bit Dillashaw, but... Man, Henry Cejudo is not to be trifled with, and here to talk about him now is his guest, my favorite person in the world. That's a strong statement, but he's pretty close. He is his coach, his mentor, his friend. It's Eric Albaracin. Hey, how are you? How are you, sir? Thanks for having me. Have a seat, my friend. With the trademark white glasses. (laughs) There's a story behind those, actually. (laughs) What's the story? Actually, uh, the glasses started in Brazil on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil first week. One of the fighters got cut, and uh, I didn't want the, you know, you live in your house with your opponent, so I didn't want them to see where he was cut, and it was close to Halloween, <laughs> and I said, you know what, I got a pair of glasses with some with a skull on it, I go, I bet that would distract your opponent from looking at the cut on the side of your eye, so he wore the glasses all week, he ended up fighting, and uh, we avoided them seeing where the cut was, and then the next week, I had left the glasses inside the uh, the workout room, the practice before the next team came in, which was at the time Verdum's team. And then they took the glasses and they did like a voodoo thing uh, against with my glasses. I had a bandana at the time, and they did candles around all the other fighters' pictures. It was it was just, it was kind of like for reality. And then um, 
the glasses became a thing. Like when they took my glasses, we went lost four straight. And I got them back, and then they, <laughs> we won four straight, and then we won the show. So then, uh, are they actually, actually prescription glasses? I'm blind without them. Oh, okay. All right. Did you wrestle with contacts? No, 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 I didn't. How'd you wrestle? I'm joking. They're not. Oh, oh they're, they're, they're okay. So they're just they're for show. They're, they're just for the. Uh, they're my business card. Yeah, fair enough. They pop. I one time did an interview at a local DC uh, news station when Mike Easton. I don't know if you remember him. Mike Easton was a, a Team Lute Irvin guy, and this was uh, long before you saw it. was like 2007 or 8, something like that, a long time ago. And we were both on set together, and uh, this was back in the day when you could do IVs, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and he had done it. He had weighed in. He had done an IV, so we went right from the weigh-ins to the TV station. And uh, he had done something to plug the IV, but it was blood was still leaking. So he had a towel over his hand the whole time, and someone was asking him, what's up with the towel? He's like, decoration. But he had to keep the towel on there from the thing from leaking. So people do all kinds of crazy things to trick opposition. It happens all the yeah, time. Yeah, Mike Easton, actually. That was one of the last fights we watched was Mike Easton uh, and against TJ. Yeah. yeah. We lost that fight, like, last week. Yeah, all right. One of the last fights. Man, you, you guys have to be on cloud nine. Did that go about as well as it possibly could have? <sighs> almost too fast. Yeah. Almost, uh, it's, it's, I, it's actually right. It was so fast. The people are like, oh, well, we didn't. What What can we really say about Henry? You know what I mean? There, some of the haters are up. Yeah, well, well that, what I can say is that what I was saying all week long, that he was 10 times better than what he was in his last fight. And, like, he's still evolving. And uh, that's something to see when you're in training camp from one week to the next. I was like, wow, <laughs> he's getting better and better. That first week. Um, How long was the camp? It was about... It was supposed to be eight weeks, then they cut that week off, so so right. it was seven. Now, to tell you the truth, I kind of liked it, uh, almost six to seven weeks, because usually around in that eight weeks, around that sixth week is when uh, a lot of my fighters start getting injured. So uh, the fact that it was, we were already on our way here on during, at the end of the sixth week, we were coming for uh, fight week. I was like, wow, this seems almost better. It seems like perfect timing. All the stars aligned. And uh, from the first week, I remember I was sparring. He only could spar 17 minutes. And um, we were a little worried. Like, wow, 17 minutes. We're fighting a 25-minute match. Obviously, we had six weeks. Not, we weren't worried, but we had to stop it. Okay, he's, there's no use going past these seven minutes. He's mounted. And these, these guys are beating up on him. We were switching guys in, so we just stopped it. And... The next week was 20 minutes. The next week was 25 minutes. The next week he was rolling through six, seven guys, mm. you know, nonstop, you know, round after round, just smashing everybody. I was like, wow. I could really, to witness it was a, was a treat. What did you guys see on the tape with uh, Cejudo, sorry, with Dillashaw? Not the fight itself, but ahead of time. He was saying he could pick up on all of his different, you know, because TJ has a lot of leans forward, does this, mm-hmm. and then shoots the left, or any, any different kind of thing. What were, what were you guys seeing on tape that you knew Henry would, would be a bad matchup for him? His wrestling, I think uh, I think we thought our wrestling was going to be the difference, that the threat of us going for the takedown, the threat of us putting us him on the cage, uh, working his body, basically making it hard for him to get into those third and fourth rounds. You know, he said he wanted to test our cardio. Our cardio was, was off the charts, so we were ready to test his, really. Hmm. Test his cardio, to uh, make him feel that weight cut. Um, 
whether he's a 35-pounder or a 25-pounder, I mean, you always want to try to make your opponent feel the weight cut, you know, take him, you know, test his body out. So that was that was the plan. Do you think the weight cut affected his ability to take a shot? Obviously, talking about TJ, not Henry. You, you know what? I don't think so. I, you know, I can only go on what their coach is saying. He's faster. Right. He's stronger. He's never felt better. Right. So, you know, Henry's, uh, like I said, I'm not worried about what he, how much he was doing as much as what Henry was doing. Henry was never seen him stronger. Like, he, uh, last week, or the last camp, he only weight lifted or did strength and conditioning for three weeks. And this time we did it throughout the whole time, seven weeks. And it was, uh, you could really see the difference. You know, Henry hadn't done S&C for, since the 2008 Olympics. So really in the last 10 years, he's only done strength and conditioning for nine weeks total. Hmm. And he just puts on muscle so fast. So what was he doing in the other camps? Like the Marcelo Garcia thing where Marcelo Garcia is famous. He was like, I don't do strength and conditioning. I, if I need to get in shape for a tournament, I just do more jujitsu. He didn't have a specialized program outside of that. What was he doing for all those fights before this? Yeah, he was just, you know, training technique, training hard, training uh, probably hard and not smart. And then, you know, I, had, I made some changes once I became, got on board. And uh, really the, I found this uh, sports performance company called NeuroForce One and Ever since we've been in with them, it's been a, a game changer. You know, uh, I don't know, if you know who Alexander Pantoja, he's in the UFC. Sure. He blew out his his elbow in a arm bar. During camp, he was fighting Peter, a guy from Scotland. He was fighting in Scotland on his retirement fight. The guy was from Ireland. And he blew it out, about, it was still about five, six weeks before the camp and he was crying because you know, he needed money. They were telling him he's going to be out 18 months. He's going to have sur- – he needs a surgery. And I said, hold on. Let's, let me do some research. Let me see if we can find something to, you know, at least take care of you so that you can fight. And uh, we found this place, and he did, like, 10 sessions. And then I said, I'm going to change this flight. He did 10 sessions with them and went back and won the fight. And I was like – and this is when Henry had hurt his wrist right before the Pettis fight. Hmm. Or right after the, no, I'm sorry, right before the, right after the Pettis fight was canceled. Right. So he was canceled, and then we, he came back from, uh, he went on a trip after that fight was canceled. When he came back, we brought him to NeuroForce One, and ever since then, he's been doing uh, weightlifting and training with them. I, I asked him this at the press conference. He didn't seem to identify it as a moment, but I don't know, man. I feel like if you go back and look at the tape, and I'm not saying he's done getting better. What I am saying is, Right around that Hayes fight, Hayes, then Pettis, then this last one was a uh, before this one was Johnson, then obviously Dillashaw on Saturday. Man, something was different about him. His movement was different. That's when he had that wide open stance like this, and he just keeps building on it. Do you think he turned a corner somewhere around that Hayes fight? No, oh, I know he did. Okay, Why? I brought him to Brazil. We brought him. Uh, so I had the team Pitbull brothers: yep. Patricio Pitbull, Patrigi Pitbull, Leandro. Uh, and they had a karate coach named Mano Santana. And really how it went down was, it's funny, I always tell this story, uh, is that it kind of started with wrestling. So I brought Patrice, I finally got Patrice and Henry together. After years of training both of them separately, I got them together and we brought Patrice to the Olympic Training Center. Uh, 
So in, in Colorado Springs, uh, shout out to the Olympic Training Center, USA Wrestling. We we all came and trained there, and you know, I threw him to the wolves early, Patricio. So he's he's going against Olympians and stuff in the room. So after about uh, a couple weeks of that, his shoulders were shot. So he said, Eric, I, I, my shoulders are shot. I can't keep up. And I said, well, what do you want to do? He's like, well, let's try kicking. I, may, I can kick if my shoulders are shot. Let's try kicking. So I said, okay, let me get one of these Olympic Taekwondo coaches to help you. And then it started like that. And then from Olympic Taekwondo, when he went back to Brazil, it evolved into he had a karate kid on his team who said, hey, let me introduce you to my coach. From He's the number one. He's the head uh, for I believe for uh, Brazil, for the karate team, Team Brazil's karate team. His name is Mano, San, Mano Santana. So then he started training Patricio. Then when Patricio beat Benson Henderson, that's when Henry paid attention because he was like, man, Eric, you shouldn't let Benson Henderson's too big for Patricio. Mm. And then he paid attention and watched this fight. He's like, wow, that style. I like that style. I like his attitude. How aggressive he is! I like the wide stance, his arm. And then I said, like, "Yeah." I called him up. I said, "You got to come down here now. Now you got to come. I got. I want you to train this style." And he came down and he started training with Patricio and Patricio and all those guys. And that was uh, where he made that change for Wilson Hayes. So it's kind of funny how I tell the story that it was wrestling that brought karate to Patricio and around the way, all the way back to Henry. So. It's, it's really good that the combative arts are now much more open with each other. There's still some walls there where everything's kind of segmented, but relative to how it was maybe even when you were wrestling in the Army, it's so much better now in terms of finding people and having access to the technical experts in various combative arts and bringing them all together. Yeah, you got to have an open mind. That's one of the, the biggest things, I think, of being a coach, especially from a traditional combat sport. Is we have a lot of us have closed minds, and I always say that uh, the illiterate, illiterate of the 21st century aren't people that cannot read, it's people that can't learn, unlearn, and relearn, and especially in MMA. You have to lose, you have to unlearn the, the wrestling moves that are gonna get you choked, choked out. You have to unlearn the boxing that's, not, that's gonna get you knocked out, or the jujitsu that's gonna get you knocked out. It's gotta be catered to MMA, so. You know, a lot of people don't consider, I'd consider his, that karate, our, our karate coach, uh, Mano, to be like a secret weapon because nobody's training really like that. And a person that uh, really enjoys karate for MMA, making sure he studies how is it going to work in MMA. And that's what, that's what he does. So uh, even, you know, even Henry, just before he fought on Saturday, the last person who called, was Patricio Pitbull because he really respects him. And he Patricio gave him, told him, you're going to knock him out. Have confidence in your hands. Hmm. Go to the body. You're going to hurt him early. Hurt him early. And as uh, soon as TJ switched stances, um, Henry hit him to the body, and then he hit him to the head. You know, it, it was 30 seconds, but, uh, you know, Henry... Henry was coming for the kill early. He looked powerful. He looked fast. What do you make of the criticism of the stoppage? I'll tell you candidly. I'll put my cards on the table. I didn't think it was a great stoppage, but I think it's a. I think it's probably okay. No, I. You know, uh, obviously anything could have went a little bit longer, but I think the result might have been the same. Would have been the same. Probably just a, more damage on him. Uh, Henry, Henry was uh, Henry was hurting him. He hit him with the kick, 
uh, the head kick, hit him with the left, uh, right one behind the ear, he got a right, a straight right over the ear. Yep. And there, there's a YouTube video that's called What Really Happened with uh, TJ Dillashaw versus Henry Cejudo. Uh -huh. And they break it down perfectly how, how many shots he took and, and how he wasn't uh, maybe uh, defending himself intelligently. His, the wrong hand was up. Henry was over here, but he was looking over here. So, you know, he explains it perfectly, and I'd rather have... That's probably the best video for us to watch because he breaks it down blow by blow. Do you want this rematch to happen at 135 as a coach? You know... I get the economics of it. I don't know how much I love the idea. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like working against us saving the flyweight division, you know. But it's not that Henry doesn't want to save the flyweight division. It's more for that one match. I'm not so sure how much Henry, Henry likes to conquer. He's a conqueror. You know, uh, he conquered the Olympics, retired the next day. He conquered the flyweight division and yesterday again and, and you know, challenges for the, uh, the next title. But that doesn't mean he wouldn't go back. I think... Uh, go out there, beat TJ, just to get that belt and, and be able to say you're the double champ champ, which would put you in one of one, meaning Olympic gold, flyweight gold, bantamweight gold. And uh, I think that's what, kind of that's what he wants for his legacy. He, uh, it's not more about that accessory of the belt, it's more about creating a legacy for us. You know what's interesting about Henry? I made this point previously. If you looked at TJ Dillashaw, he had reached a mature level of his skill set. Not saying he couldn't get better, but you know how I talk. Guys get to a certain level where they're more or less going to be that, and then they can make adjustments in tactics or strategy around that. And I thought Henry was, as I mentioned, getting better and better. Since the Hayes fight, it's been a completely dramatic shift. You can watch tape on Henry but there's not much of it because fight over fight now, he's making these huge leaps. He's still entering that mature stage. No, he's definitely still learning. Definitely. You can, uh, like I said, I saw it in camp, and you know it's, uh, it's a credit to the coaches, Santino DeFranco, Randy Stanky, Coach Allen. We brought a guy from Holland in, uh, Coach pa Paul Lamach, which was that's, that was an interesting one because uh, we had um, – you know, the Bang Muay Thai system was at our gym, fight ready. So we had been anticipating we're going to fight that guy one day. So we actually got his system at our gym. Whoa. So we walk in the gym every day, and you got 30 people training Bang Muay Thai. And August 4th, we beat Demetrius Johnson. Henry calls out TJ in the press conference. On Monday morning, the, the, the gym workers tried to log into the system, and they cut off. He cut us off. So we're like, okay. He's, so I go, looks like we're gonna be fighting uh, TJ. So what do you mean he cut you off? So I, uh, you, you have to log into like a, you have to log in every day yeah. when you're when you're in the Bang Muay Thai system. I think the the personal trainers okay. have to log in and see what's the daily log. Or, oh, I see, I see. So they weren't able to log in. So he kind of cut us off, and it was looking like we we're fighting TJ. But when we, when, we, when that happened, I had already seen uh, the combos and everything, and one of the combos called the Andy Sauer combo. So Andy Sauer's a 22-time kickboxing oh, world champion. I know he is, yeah, yeah. So then we went and got Andy. So we can't, we didn't have the system no more or the Andy Sauer combo. We went and got his coach named Paul Lamach. Wow. So we went and got Paul Lamach from Amsterdam to come down, and we had met him actually uh, – a year ago 
in, in Amsterdam. We, we lived in Amsterdam for a month and went and trained all over the Amsterdam. And he was one of the guys that we met. And I, I just remember that Andy Sauer combo. I was like, we're going to go get his coach then. If we can't, we can't see the system, we'll go get the guy who taught him. Unbelievable. Where do you think he deserves, Henry, to be ranked pound for pound? You know, he hasn't really defended, you know, his title, but only once. But the fact that he's beating the two greatest, you know, the greatest pound for pound fighter and Demetrius Johnson, and now the greatest bantamweight, you know, he's got to be right up there. He's got to be ahead of these guys that don't have titles. You got to think, you know, because I think Conor McGregor and Stipe are ahead of him or were ahead of him. They don't have a uh, of a title anymore, a world championship. So I'd, I'd put him definitely, I think he's top three. And, you know, as a coach, I'm pushing for number one. I, want, I think all my fighters are, uh, <laughs> are right up there. Patricio Pitbull as well is he's right cr- up there. He's criminally underrated, Patricio. Is. For sure. I think uh, I would put Patricio Pitbull against anybody in the UFC, anybody in the world, really. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, I've, the thing is, people... I see it in the room. Right. You can see it. It doesn't matter if they're UFC, ACB, Road FC, Bellator. These guys all in the room train together. I got video of Henry and Patricio training together. I got video of some of the best fighters training together that not, aren't even in any of those promotions. You know, you, I know who's good and I know who's not, and I've seen I've coached some of the best, so I can honestly say Patricio is one of the he, I would put him up against anybody in the world, and, and uh, even, even his brother Patricky. He's uh, he's he's on another, another level also now. Does well, Henry? You know, he beat Demetrius. So funny, right? Because the big super fight they wanted to make however long ago was Demetrius versus TJ. Henry comes along and beats both of them, which is pretty uh, pretty amazing testament to that. But like you know, Demetrius has this deserved reputation as the best flyweight ever. I mean, just look at his body of work; it's pretty extensive. Uh, is is Henry trying to do that? Now, I know Henry beat him, but what I'm trying to say is that legacy at that weight class, we don't even know if they're going to keep it around, but is that something he thinks about? Like, I really want to be up there. When people talk about the best flyweights, they talk about me. Definitely he wants his legacy, but I don't know if it's going to be like uh, 11. You know, I, I don't see him going for to beat that record of 11 defense. I probably don't see anybody breaking that, actually. It's... Uh, that was amazing what he did. That's not easy. Training for five round fights, training for a five round fi- fight shortens your career. At you know, you, it's almost double the three round fights. Three round fights are easy for me now. It's like so easy to go into a into a camp when you only have to do three round fights. It's That's like, interesting. You know what's funny? Chael Sonnen told me five round fights are a problem. You believe that too? Oh yeah, because he, he, instead of sparring three guys, sometimes you got to spar five and six. You know, sometimes Henry was sparring two guys around because one guy got hurt and we'd have to get another guy come in. So, yeah, I mean, five, five round fights, I mean, you're doubling your training time, doubling the amount of times you, you can get, get hit, basically. Low kicked, head kicked, body kicked, hard. So it's, you're just doing double the work of everybody else. So, uh, you know, that's why these guys should be compensated. And that's why they do get compensated up for the five-round fights, championship only. But I've been in five-round fights for like four or five years now. And so it's uh, three-round fights is a treat nowadays. February 9th, I got a three-round fight going to England, Newcastle with Patricky Pitbull. Right, right. So when, when do you think Henry's going to come back if you had to recommend? Looks like TJ wants it right away, but, you know, we'll see how these things go. 
Yo, I know Henry wants to be on a big card, so. He wants that money. Yeah, fine. You know what? He's he, earned he, it. He, he, he He's didn't get it. it. He the last fight. I said the last fight. He took a, basically a pay cut. He got paid less than anybody else, but he did it because he said, "I'm not in for the money. I need. To, I can beat him now, and I'm not going to wait two years to get my shot at the belt." So finally, with this ESPN uh, deal, it kind of uh, put him on on the next level, top tier for for pay. So he's he's getting good he's getting paid now but um I would say maybe international fight week hmm. that's a big one mm-hmm. if we can get on a big card I think Henry's one of the money fights now you know if, I think that uh not only um did he save the flyweight division he created the Suhuda weight division who wants to come down from uh, 150 <laughs> pounds or less come on down and and and, and fight the champ champ champ. Uh, last question about this because we got to keep things moving. But it, it's it's interesting you mentioned that. I was wondering. It's like you saw the response. Now, EF, you, ESPN did a really good job promoting this card. I thought they really got after it. You know, I don't know if you saw they had what the highest rated um, shows in the last five years essentially on cable for the UFC, and they had six hundred thousand subscribers on ESPN Plus. You know, it's interesting. People were telling me, who was I talking to? Joseph Benavidez told me this. He was like, not that he was like, oh, I'm so thrilled Demetrius lost, but now that Demetrius is not there, some of these other personalities <coughs> at flyweight will get a chance to show who they are. Dude, Henry, you know, I, I saw him at the Latin Grammys telling people he was single on stage, right? And and, and uh, he, uh, he got an award from Pau Gasol. I remember this explicitly. You were there? Uh, my, we were watching. I was watching with uh, my in-laws. I was there. And Because uh, I didn't know the word at the time for single was uh, soltero, I believe. Soltero. Soltero, that's right. And and uh, he was saying he was single, and I asked my wife because she giggled. She's like, yeah, he says I'm single, right? Just getting out there, just showing personality and doing it in two languages. Yeah. And you have to wonder, like, Demetrius has his own thing, and he's enormously accomplished. But I kind of think that we Henry might be able to prove that these littler guys can be pretty popular. We have to see, but I have a hunch it might be possible. Oh, yeah. Did you see him at that press conference with that Viper snake, and he was wearing the gold skin jacket? The jacket I liked, the Viper wasn't for me. <laughs> he's, just trying, he's just trying to make sure people tuned in. You no. Know, he's doing his job to uh, help save the flyweight division. And I remember that 2008 thing like it was yesterday because we met, uh, uh, I think, um, Julio Caesar. Ch- no, no, no. The guy who uh, just fought Pacquiao. Broner? Nope. Not the guy who just fought him. Oh, Matisse. Lucas Matisse from Argentina? The guy who knocked him out a few years ago. I'm sorry. Uh, he fought him oh, like five uh, times. Oh, Manuel Marquez. Manuel Marquez was there, and uh, we had a good time there. He met uh, the guy from Blood In, Blood Out. Which is one of Henry's favorite movies. We used to watch it all the time when we had no t- TV. We put top in this DVD, so we watched Blood in Blood Out like thirty times in one month because we had no TV <laughs> and uh, or no cable. And then we met the guy named El Metal Metal that 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 time. And yeah, even back then he he had personality. Like you said, he said he's a I'm single, tri uh, single trilingual and ready to mingle from. Sunday to from Monday to Domingo. Yeah, I think that's what he said. <laughs> that's so, uh, amazing. Yeah, he's got. He's definitely got the. Uh, I think he could be the face of the UFC. I mean, who else has an Olympic gold medal? Can speak three languages and and you know. It takes on big challenges. It takes on huge challenges. He'll take on. I I could see him even going up to forty five. Well, uh, you know, it, it it would be some. It would have to be like a perfect matchup. We don't want a, you know 
to get crazy like uh, the other team was talking about. Yeah, Hollow we're go Holloway here, is here, here. big. Yeah, Holloway. I'm, I'm thinking more like one super fight or something yeah. coming up, going up there, somebody that's a good matchup for him. But, yeah, I think he could be the face, you know, not only for the flyweight division, but just for the UFC in general, for MMA overall. Well, you know what I got to say? Part of the reason why he's successful is because he's majorly talented. The other reason is why he's got great coaching staff, man. You can just see it around him. He's had a big change. You're a big reason for that. So I know you guys don't want to pat yourselves on the back too much, but I'll do it for you. You guys did a great job getting him ready. Again, all credit to him for doing all that work himself, obviously. But it takes a team to get somebody that talented ready for that uh, event. And and everybody did. So I take my hat off to you guys. Well done. Yeah, thank you. You know, I was uh, I used to remember, because when I was uh, coaching at Tino Guerra, we had Anderson Silva, Junior Dos Santos. And uh, I remember Anderson used to have a, an entourage of like 30 guys. And I'd be there at the fights like, wow, man, this is way too much. And sure enough, as we get closer to the last two fights, we're rolling like 20 deep Yeah, now. you all had a squad out 20 there. 20 deep uh, in it. They all have a specific role. Each one of them have a role. One is social media. One is uh, his nutrition. One is his strength and conditioning. One is stretching. You know, one guy is, uh, you know, everybody has a role. And uh, it's, it's awesome to see all, uh, us as a cohesive unit. Um, yeah, we, we even brought in a, a team leader, uh, Dave Zowine, to uh, to manage it because the last time I, it was uh, it was almost too much for me. Almost, we, we got it taken care of, but I was like, I need somebody to help me with the stuff that doesn't have to do with fighting. And uh, so t he came in and, and helped out a lot with that. We had team meetings every day. It was like the military, man. Monday. Monday morning team meeting, Tuesday morning team meeting, right. Friday video, video conference and video challenge. I had the owner of the gym or the team leader. He was calling from Portugal, you know, you know, nine hours ahead. He was calling before practice and after and getting updates. So uh, it was a, uh, it was an, it was probably one of the best camps I've ever been a part of or ever was in charge of. Was definitely this last camp. And I saw it. I saw it going into that sixth week. I've ne never, ever have I seen Henry so confident, so calm, so composed. And I was like, wow, this is, is Henry was always, he was happy. He only, not even cutting weight, he really didn't get hangry or cranky. It was just like, man, I've just never seen him like this. And I was like, it's gonna be a massacre. We're gonna go out there and destroy. And, and you know, that's what he did. Certainly did. All right, my man Joe. If Joe wants to come in here, we got to move this along. I, I really appreciate you coming in studio, man. Next time you're in New York, you have an open invitation here. For sure. How and about I, that? I, thank you for having me. This is a. Uh, I want to congratulate you. We last time Thanks. I was here, it was Ariel Hawani. Yeah, now yeah. you're here, so that's awesome. And uh, Columbia, look, we Columbia, rep baby. we represent. We I'm represent. Columbia, the yeah. <laughs> You know, a Colombian coach, my dad was born in Colombia, so yeah, I think yeah. it's uh, interesting. A Colombian coach, uh, half Colombian, is yeah. uh, has one of the greatest fighters in uh, in combat sports history. It so really does. And by the awesome. way, my producer's full, uh, full Colombian. How about oh, that? Awesome. Danny back there. That, Danny that, not Joe. Joe is our typical white trash, you know, nothing. But uh, Danny's cool. All right, we got to move along. Eric, my friend, congratulations Thanks, on all your success. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And next time you're in the city, come on by. Thank you. All Will right? do. Take all care. Right, let's do this.
Uh, we are a little bit short on time. Joe, is it possible after you're done with him, we can do the Monday Morning Analyst because I want to bump tweets. Um, we don't have time for tweets. We'll do tweets a little bit later. You want to get? Can we get me set up? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I mean, is it the same amount of time with the tweets to do it? Is it the same thing? All right, let's do this. Let's reset here for just a little bit. Eric is I Eric I met um yeah, I definitely want to do Monday morning analyst next. Eric I met um gosh, when was that? I want to say I, I could be wrong about this. I want to say the Kimbo Kimbo Shamrock, maybe before that. I don't know. And he's always been around the Pitbull brothers. And he's always just sort of been on these guys' camps, and they're super loyal to him. And he kind of flies under the radar. I don't think a lot of people know uh, exactly who he is. I know he was working with the Nogueira brothers and stuff before and the Black House guys. But ever since I've known him, man, he, ever since I've known him, he's like, dude, I'm telling you about Henry. I'm telling you about Henry. And, you know, Henry had an early strong start, but hit a couple of roadblocks in the Benavides fighting in the first Johnson fight, of course. And um, there's been some other ones, too, in the in the trying to get back into the Olympic cycle, and he, he didn't make the team. I think, uh, I don't know when that was, 2012 or so, something like that. But look at him now, dude. They have figured it out. They have got him in the right physical shape. They've got him in the right mental space. They've got a good coaching team around him. They got an expensive coaching team around him. <laughs> but it looks like they got a good one. And so I'm very curious to see how far he can take this. The 145 thing, I think, always is going to be a bridge too far at 125 uh, pounds. But that's the way to go. All right, how about this? Want to do Monday Morning Analyst? Yeah, come on in, Joe. It's fine. We just I switched it up on you on the production elements. Let's do it now. It's time for the Monday Morning Analyst right here on the MMA Hour. Let's hit it. All right. There we are. Ooh, a little closer. Sorry about that, Joe. Sorry about that, boys in the back. I know I... Uh, I know I uh, switched things up on the show rundown, but I had to because we ran a little long and yada, yada, yada. Okay, let us get to it right now. What are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about Cowboy Cerrone. Now, this always happens whenever I do a, uh, a, a analysis on a fight where the ending was fairly clear. In other words, like if I asked you, how did Donald Cerrone win? The answer is going to be quite literally via head kick and then he followed up with a series of punches. Thereafter, so I always, whenever I'm always like, you know, how did Cowboy Cerrone win? If you just literally answer via head kick, you are admitting you don't understand actually how he won because there's a lot of work that goes into it. And yes, the way he did it was he tricked him by going to the body because if you watch Alexander Hernandez, he actually leans into it thinking he's covering for his ribs. And instead, he did get the hand up, so it wasn't like full on, but it was pretty close. But the point being is he leans into it being tricked. But even that's not the full story. In fact, I would only consider that a part of the story. It's a devastating and obviously enormously consequential part of the story. But in order to get to that point, he had to do many other things. And if he had not done them, it would never have made the other parts possible. You have to look at the full breadth of the experience, what they did, tactically what they were looking at, and then draw some broader conclusions. So whenever I ask people, like, oh, how do you think Cerrone won? Be a head kick, bro. Head kick, bro. It's like you are automatically disqualifying yourself from conversation. There is much more to the story, and you need to be able to understand that much. Now, as a general disclaimer, before I go through all of this, 
Let me just say, as usual, I don't present to you these the authoritative findings, the only findings, or even the best findings. I present to you them as mine. But like other people, excuse me, unlike other people in the sport, I am willing to make an argument about it. How good are the ideas? I'm perfectly willing to stand by them because I believe they are supported by the facts. Let's go throw the slide up here if we can. Now, I've got my Apple Pencil today because I got the new iPad. I'm going to try using this because I've had some issues. But, uh, okay. Um, here we go. This is Donald Cerrone looking very tan, I guess. Uh, all right. The key to this one was really absorbing pressure because yes, he landed the head kick. Yes. He set everything up and that was kind of nice, but what was Alex Hernandez doing? He was getting in his face constantly. He was constantly trying to crash into him almost. So Cerrone to find ways to go to the body, go to the body, go to the body, trick him, then go to the head. He needed space to, A, soften him up, cause more damage on his own, but also he had to have a tactic for dealing with a fighter who was coming forward. Let me say something that's not listed on here that I think is really important. Fighters today, young fighters, if you are watching this, I'm not in a position to coach you, but I'm in a position to offer something that I think might be valuable by way of argumentation, namely... We are watching the era of stance switchers. Every week I come on here and I talk to you guys about people switching stances. There is an arms race happening inside mixed martial arts where everybody wants to switch their stances. I think, generally speaking, that's a positive development. It is an advancement over just sitting in one particular stance and being committed to that and only having offense from that. However, what I am also seeing is Guys are trying to get to that and using it before they're really ready. Donald Cerrone is something of a throwback fighter. Now, he's got an advanced skill set in the sense where he has, I think he has a phenomenal guard, by the way. And I was wondering if we were going to see that. It turns out we didn't. Uh, as you saw against Hernandez, much improved wrestling. Those two were fighting over underhooks and whizzers. And it was actually Cerrone that was winning because he was, well, there's a lot of reasons, high hips and the whole thing. But. So he can do that as well. He's got much improved takedown defense. We know he can strike. But here's something you should consider. He mostly stays, or I would say almost exclusively stays, in an orthodox stance, and nearly all of his offense comes from the right side. Now, here I've got it, same side clinch attacks, because that was specific to this fight. But you're going to see he tries to catch Hernandez coming in on the half beat with the right. He throws same side combinations. A lot of guys throw combinations whether it be jab, cross, you know, hook, uppercut, and they're going side to side to side to side. He does some of that, Don Cerrone. He does a lot of same side. Jab, body, you know, push kick, all on the same side. He stays in stance, and he has same side attacks. In an era where guys are trying to do too much, Cerrone doesn't do too little, but he stays consistent with what he knows. He has mastered a skill set, and it's not as modern necessarily as what some of the other guys do are trying to switch stances all the time. But if you're not really ready to be switching stances, you probably shouldn't be. It's a lesson in humility. It's a lesson in learning that either you're ready to use a weapon or you're not ready to use a weapon and that you can still win by going back to what would be considered more old school or conventional tactics inside MMA. If you look at boxing, a lot of guys, you know, they might switch stance a little bit or something or switch stance through combination in certain particular contexts but they stay in their stance. 
In MMA, we're doing this thing that we're just constantly switching, constantly switching. And Alex Hernandez did that. Didn't do him much good. In the end, the guy who was conventional and the guy who stayed in that stance and had same side attacks, he did much better in the end. Remember, switching stances is great. It is an update over the conventional way of doing things. But if you're not really in a position to maximize stance switching, it could get you in trouble. It's not all about, oh, if I just stance switch, I'll be ahead of the game. No, you have to be ready to stance switch the right way. Okay, so he had to absorb pressure. How did he do it? These are the things that I found the most compelling. Number one, he had to take advantage of Hernandez's hard step. How do you think Cowboy ended up landing those knees as Hernandez kept coming into? How do you think he kept catching him with right hands with no setup off the jab as Hernandez was coming into him? Lots of other things he did too, push kicks, all kinds of stuff. Hernandez wasn't merely just coming in hard. He was overcommitting at the same time, a lot of times positionally. So he'd be just not running in, but you know he'd be going side to side, switching stances, switching stances, and they would take a hard step, man. And he'd be really on the inside. Cerrone read it every time and fired a knee up the middle, by the way, from orthodox as well as southpaw stance, or at least alternating different uh, sides with the knee. So he was able to catch him doing that. He caught him coming in off the half beat with right hands. He knew that Hernandez was not only going to come into him, he wouldn't necessarily be mindful of the distance when he did. And that opened up a lot of possibilities. And when he would step so hard and step so far away sometimes, uh, sometimes he'd just step too hard in tight. Sometimes he would step far away, but he would step really far like this. So Cerrone had a lot of different opportunities to greet him. There was a height differential, and Cerrone's really good about the counter knees. So he just took advantage of the height differential and the body type. He took advantage of the hard step distance-wise or the or the just sort of crashing into him um, a lot. And other times he would greet him with the clinch. So it was this greeting him with the right hand, greeting him with the clinch if he got too far, greeting him with the knee. But it was all from these hard steps he was taking on the inside. That was one. Two, catch Hernandez on the exit. Man, this was a problem he had. Basically, as soon as her, uh, Cerrone found it, I would say roughly halfway through the first round. It was a wrap for him. Not only was Hernandez, well, these two are related. Hernandez would take a hard step and then kind of angle and then sit there. And Cerrone would be like, you're still in front of me. Pop, pop. And he hit him the same way every time, although sometimes in different size, namely straight and hooks or a hook and a straight. Got him over and over and over and over with them. Look at Frankie Edgar. You know, Jose Aldo might be kryptonite for Frankie Edgar, but for most people, Frankie Edgar is their kryptonite. Why? Because he does a lot of moving and a lot of fakes and a lot of feints, sets it up behind the jab, hits a cross, and he's gone. Dominic Cruz does the same thing. He's bopping and doing this, and he'll hit you with a dart, and then he's gone. He's at an angle and exiting the pocket so that when you go back to throw, they're not there anymore. Hernandez did not. And so Donald Cerrone caught him over and over and over and over and over with it. That was really, that was just, he was just observing what the guy was, they say it in jiu-jitsu, they say it all the time. Take what the guy gives you. He's giving you the fact that he's not exiting properly and he set him on fire with it. Three, same side clinch attacks. I mentioned this before, you'll see with the right hand, what he was doing was Cerrone would align his head on the side he wanted to throw, which is typically the right side. So that would prevent him from getting hit. He would have an overhook on this one or some kind of bicep control or hand control. There's a few different things he would do. They would separate, and then he would get his head into a position where it needed to be, and he would crack him every time or with a right hand um, uh, from there. But it's the same side that keeps getting hit 
over and over and over again. Again, if he's giving you an open target, if you can win in the clinch, Hernandez was doing a good job of firing knees in the clinch, but he was getting controlled from the chest up in terms of strategy. Not physically controlled, but he was being controlled by he would just contort him or push him a certain way. Hernandez, I don't know, it didn't seem to me he, it occurred to him to challenge it strategically. So now he's sitting in this position, and now they would sort of jockey, and you would see God, you know, would see um, you would see Cerrone swim inside for a collar tie, two of them, depending or a bicep, depending on what he needed to do, get his hot head to the side where he couldn't be hit, push out, and then hit from the right side over and over and over and over again. Last flurry as Hernandez linearly retreats. Why is this important? So number one, he's not exiting. So you could crack him with a good one shot, maybe a two shot. Sometimes he wouldn't exit and then would back up in a straight line. And you could hear Joe Schilling the whole time. Shouts to Joe Schilling, who is super underrated as a cornerman, super underrated as a guy who can help other strikers in MMA be their best. I very much believe that. You could hear him saying, fire, fire, going after him. So you'd see Cerrone just blitz the guy because he was unprepared to circle in the directions that would get him out. Or sometimes he would exit, but he would exit in an obvious way, and Cerrone would greet him uh, if he exited to the left, left hook, right straight, and catch him every single time. These things happened over and over and over again. When I was watching fights, I was making notes about what was happening and then adding timestamps, and I just kept adding it to every single thing that they did because it wasn't highly varied offense. The same things kept appearing. Crazy. All right. Let's go. Shall we? Let's look at the first one. This will be, I think, taking advantage of Hernandez. You know what? Fuck this pen. Not that great. Um, Apple, your pen is overrated. All right. So here we are. Uh, I'm going to show you things in the order that are kind of listed here rather than going just through the fight um, chronologically. So here we are. All right. Look at Cerrone. Conventional stance. Hernandez, southpaw, let's see, stays in southpaw. Hernandez is always trying to get that outside angle, his lead foot on the outside of Cerrone's lead foot. Cerrone saw it every time. And you see he misses here, but look how far he's stepping into him. Cerrone's knee here is behind the tricep of Hernandez. You know how far into somebody you got to be for that to happen? Now, again, you can miss, but you saw all the times it landed. This is that hard step. Cerrone reading that here again. 2.43 on the clock. That's about when this fight turned for me. Right around this moment is when Cerrone began to pick up on it. Let's look at the next one, right? And then he, boom. And by the way, not exiting. Whoop. It just barely misses him. He just kind of stays there. Like, look who backed out more. Bink, look who backs out right away. Hernandez does a little bit, but not much. It's actually Cerrone. And here comes Hernandez again. Boom. Now, he eats one here. But that one kind of grazes off the side. Point being is, look at this hard step he comes in with. Right? And there's a height differential. He lowers his weight. You can see it every time. So this is a nice moment for Hernandez to land a shot. But that would be a damaging blow that would land over and over for him. We keep going. Boom. Again, look at him not exit. So Cerrone eats a nice one, comes down, throws a hook, and just stays there. Pop. Look at that. He just stayed there. He doesn't move at all. So Cerrone comes down, looks, sees him right there, says, okay, bink, crushes him, and then he moves away, all right? So we go to the next one. Here we are, 43 seconds left in the first round. Here are two orthodox stances. Always pay attention to that. Uh, he 
tries to go down to the body. This was one of the better things I thought Hernandez would do was going to the body a little bit. Uh, and by the way, he kept doing this thing either from a southpaw stance or a conventional stance. He would dip to this side, to the left side, and then shovel punch up uh, or dip to this side, lean, and then go to the body. In this case, he goes to the body from the left-handed stance. One of his better punches, but watch, right? They circle out here. Not sure why I included that. Bink, that's why. He sees him coming in, right? Let's sit, look how he sets it up, right? Lowers his level. Big step. Look at that huge step Hernandez is taking. Cerrone tries to greet it with a jab, watches him, frames out, sees him reset, comes back. See that? Look at this huge step he takes. Look at that big step from Hernandez. Watch the feet of Hernandez. Huge step. Cerrone cracks him with it, right? And then he just stays there, eats the knee, and just, just stays. He just stays. So we keep going. Uh, 13 seconds left. Tries it from the other side. Has him, you see, you'll see Hernandez fading across. He's strafing this way, and Cerrone just tries to time it. Mistimes it a little bit, but that's one thing he kept finding an opportunity for. Okay, next one. We'll see what this one this is. This is, I believe, him... Uh, not exiting the pocket, right? Here he comes, southpaw stance. He's trying to... The body kicks, I thought, from the southpaw stance were good by Hernandez. He did some good stuff in this, but the problem was he was taking these hard steps and he was single-shotting. Not a lot of combination work from Hernandez, and as a consequence, he gets chewed up a little bit for it. So he stays in southpaw, he tries to come in. All right, watch. Let's see. This is that dip I was telling you about. See that? See how he's dipping to his left side? He's going to try and come in. He goes to the body, which is nice. Comes up, but then just stays there. Cerrone fires a right, turns, and he's still there. Boom. And he gets chewed up for it two more times. He had a big problem exiting the pocket and took a lot of unnecessary damage as a, as a consequence. Here we are. They're clinched up. Remember, Cerrone likes to look from the right side. Cerrone is here. Head to the left, right? He's brought, let's see what he does here. He's going to switch out. Boom, cracks him with the right, gets his head off the center line and stays on that right-hand side, by the way. Hernandez backs out and then just comes right into it, greets him with the right, pops him again with the left. So this is exactly what I'm talking about, clinch attacks from the right side. Here's the second thing you see. Hernandez breaks the clinch. Okay, fine. Cerrone greets him with a right hand on the half beat. Again, not on this one, but on the right there. Catches him here. And then the guy stays. Boom, Cerrone throws two more shots. Again, same pattern over and over and over and over again. All right, let's go to the next one. Here they are clinched up again. Cerrone's going to get a nice frame on his elbow on the inside right here, right? That can be devastating if you get it right. They break away. He pushes. He leans out. Cerrone misses with the right. Again, all the clinch attacks on the same side. He follows up with the punch. And then as he exits... He's still kind of backing out straight in a linear way and eats a head kick as a result. He never exits at an angle. He always exits. He, well, that's not true. He exits at an angle sometimes, just not enough. All right. Now we go to, let's see what he does here. He's southpaw. You see him try to get the outside lead foot angle, right? Goes to the body. I thought this body work was pretty nice, actually. He didn't follow it up with much and he did it too far away and he didn't change it up because he's taking these hard steps and these big jumps into space. But he eats a punch and then just kind of stays there. Look, 
Cerrone knows if I just follow this guy with combinations, he'll be there. And he switches stances to get to, get to that position. Over and over and over again. And watch this. Let's see what this one is. Boom. Greets him with the knee, which you see. And now watch him. I think he's going to flurry here. Let's see. Pow, pow. Just coming forward, blitzing him. Here's another one. Let's watch. So remember, what does he do? He's greeting him with knees. All attacks on that right-hand side. Greeting him with the right hand. Catching him on the half beat. Let's see how he greets or they clinch. This is commonly how it goes. Watch. He gets out of the way. Throws a jab this time. Highly unusual for Cerrone. But look, Hernandez just breaks and stays there. So Cerrone just takes advantage of it and blitzes him back. Look at this line that he's in. Backing up, and he turns a little bit here, but that's when the cross, excuse me, that's when the straight, yes, well, yeah, the cross, it's his right hand, yes? Yeah, so the cross and then his left hook. Boom. Finally, he circles out an angle. Here they are. Clinched again. Let's see what happens. Again, what are you looking at? Right-hand side. If you are going to fight Donald Cerrone, you have to understand an overwhelming amount of his offense is going to come from that right side at distance, in close, and at kicking range. You have to know that. He doesn't do a lot of offense from the other side. you got to be prepared. So he cracks him with an elbow here. And let's see, he just stays there a little bit. He gets out of the way of that, which was nice by Hernandez. But Cerrone just knows if I keep following this guy, here's your straight, then your hook. He'll catch, you'll catch him every time. Cerrone does it over. And I'm sounding like a broken record because it is a broken record. Over and over and over and over again. All right, here we go. Another one. They are on the clinch face-to-face. -face. Where do you think the attack's going to come from? Say it with me, class. The right side. Boom. Now, this one gets blocked a little bit by Hernandez. But Cerrone knows if I just stay on him and follow back straight. Look at this path, man. Look at this path. It's crazy. It's just straight back. Cerrone's all over him, man. Straight and then hooks every time. Every time. This is a big problem. It's a lot of unnecessary damage he did not need to take. All right. We're almost done. Throws a right hand here. Where do you think Cerrone's offense is going to come from? Wow, look at that. Tries to throw the right hand. He can't do it because he has his left hand hanger up. You see that's preventing it a little bit. That's a nice adjustment from Hernandez. It's not enough, but it's definitely something. He's not a bad fighter. He's just young and inexperienced. He's going to be very good. This is just a bit of a wake-up call, right? Cerrone throws that. This is a nice elbow. Look at him. Gear. Watch. watch. Hernandez is Stepping in that direction, and he greets him with the elbow. That's really, excuse me, the knee. That's really, really nice, right? Does it again. Same side attacks in the clinch. You see so many people being like, okay, we throw a combination. It has to be this side, this side, then back to this side, and then back to this side. Alternating can be good. Keeping it the same side on occasion can be good if they keep presenting those same vulnerabilities, which he does. And then again, right hand, right, right elbow, excuse me. So look at this. What do you think? He tries to throw an elbow once and it got blocked, right? So he goes right elbow, right knee, excuse me, right knee, right elbow. All same side attacks, and he's trying to get away from him. Not quite a linear path, but pretty close, right? Here they are again, clinched up. This he would absorb it like such. Head on the right side this time, right? You're looking here. Head on the right side. What's he going to do? Let's see. Turns into him. Prevents the takedown. Has a frame here. Look at that. Look at this. Wide open lane, man. What is what is blocking the face here of Hernandez? 
Nothing. So what's Cerrone going to do? Crack? <laughs> right? It's the same. It's the same fight over and over and over and over again. That tells you that there is just something he just doesn't know how to do, right? Because John Jones gets hit with a few of these, that shit goes away. Take it all away from you. Mayweather gets hit with a couple of these. I mean, not this version, but the MMA or the boxing version. That just goes away after round three or four. He takes everything away from you. But an inexperienced fighter who's trying to do things that he's not really in a position to be able to do just yet, even though he might be massively talented as a wrestler and super aggressive and very powerful, he's got a lot of strengths, but there's just too much of a skill gap. And again, same side on the clinch attack, just over and over again. Cerrone can feel these vulnerabilities, and he gets away. Again, with the right hand. You guys see all these patterns? They just keep emerging. I think we're almost done here. So here, a nice. this is the very end of the fight, or close to it, right? So we're at the halfway through, or you know, a quarter of the way through, third of the way through the, the second round. So he goes to the body, setting it up. This is so nice. By the way, what side is this from? Oh, yeah, it's the right side. Now he's hitting it because the guy's standing in southpaw, so it makes it more possible. But just sort of pointing that out, there's a nice shot, backing out. He's circling. Cerrone's cutting off the cage a little bit. Nice jab, right hand, falls him back straight, goes back to the body, all the same things we've been seeing before. This one, and by the way, this is part of the story too. These Cerrone's really good. I talked to some people who fought Cerrone before. They tell me that his push kick looks a lot sometimes like his roundhouse when he wants to disguise them. So this is part of that narrative of setting up that, that head kick at the end. Following here, throws a left hook, boom, body kick, kind of on the top of the thighs near the cup. Right, same kind of thing, setting it up. Here comes Hernandez at the um, uh, orthodox stance, Cerrone gets out of the way. And again, look at these hard steps, man. Look at that, just, ah, extended a little too far. Cerrone gets out of the way, right? This is the end of first round. What's he gonna do? Boom. By the way, leads with the right hand every time, catches him. Sometimes he came with the jab, but a lot of times he led with the right. What's he gonna do? He's gonna lead with the right hand, watch. Boom, lead with the right hand, catching him. How did he absorb pressure? He led with the right hand. Here's another one. Ready? Doesn't matter the stance, by the way, that Hernandez is in. What does he do? Lead with the right hand, catching him on the half beat. The foot of Hernandez is not even on the ground yet, catching him right at the right time. Right? Look at that. Boom. And then this is the end. I'm not going to go through this. We don't have time for it. I was going to go and sort of try and weigh in on this. You can put the thumbnail. Oh, you know what? Put the thumbnail back up for just a second, if you don't mind. Let me go through this. Da -da 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 -da. Okay, hold on just a second. Woo! Because I know we got Dennis Bermudez we got to get to. Is he here, Joe? Yeah. Okay. Hang on. One more time. All right. Put the thing back up. Guys, stance switching can be great if you're good at stance switching. If you're ready to be in a position, well, that's an important part of your offense. But if you're not, it might get you in trouble. And you got a game plan around this guy. You saw it over and over again. You come into him, he's going to greet you with right hands. If you're clinched, it's going to be in a lot of right-hand attacks. He likes that right kick. You can go either side, by the way. But he likes that right kick to the body in the southpaw stance. He likes to go to the head um, if it's part of the larger repertoire. Again, taking advantage of Hernandez's hard step, he'd get too close to him or he'd lean down, just making a knee counter possible, and he was telegraphing it by taking these wide steps and not closing the distance in the right way, catching Hernandez on the exit. He would throw a punch, maybe it landed, maybe it didn't, and it would just stand there. 
Cerrone would set him on fire. Same side clinch attacks we've just been over. And then Flurry as Hernandez lin linearly retreated, which is part of Hernandez on the exit, not really getting there. So if you're not exiting properly, and then you're retreating in a straight line, dude, a guy like Donald Cerrone is going to set you up. So when somebody tells you, Donald Cerrone, we won via head kick, bro, do not sell this man short. Do not sell one of the winningest, if not the winningest fighter in UFC, Strike Force, Pride, WEC history. Do not sell him short by saying, he landed a head kick, bro, because there is so much more to his game. There is so much more to his offense. There's so much more to what he's capable of doing that, frankly, that's a bullshit answer, and I won't accept it. Don Cerrone is a bit of a throwback, but in the best way possible. Throwback like vintage. Throwback like this thing gets better like a fine wine. Everyone's trying new tricks. He stays with what works. I take my hat off in a proverbial sense, to Donald Cowboy Cerrone. That is the Monday Morning Analyst. All right, let's bring him in. Our next guest. Man, he shocked me. Shocked me at Media Day when, uh, well, after Media Day. Actually, let me back up. I talked to him at Media Day, and I thought, well, this was a great interview. He was very, very nice. And then he wins, and he retires, and I'm like, wow, what happened there? That's so crazy. But uh, he did. Dennis Bermudez uh, decided to hang him up, call it quits. On um, on Saturday, after a nice win, he joins me now in studio. There he is, the menace himself, where, with a nice MMA beat mug. How are you, sir? What's up, man? Thanks for coming on in. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, dude. Oi, did you get here okay? Uh, yeah. It's cold, bro. <laughs> is it I'm not like, cold? Did I pick the worst day to, <laughs> to come to the sitting, you know? I knew it was going to be cold, but I didn't know it was going to be like this. Yeah. I'm just, sorry if I'm not looking at you. I'm just about to tweet, but uh, you're here. But I got up this morning and I was like, holy yeah. S balls. I, I, I woke up, checked my watch, it said eight degrees. And I'm like, that's a joke. Yeah, that's that's not fun. Yeah. You're from this area though, right? Yeah, I live in Long Island. Long, how is Long Island? It's cold too. Yeah. No. Uh, it's nice. It's good. How did you not end up ever with the the Longo? It feels like everyone in that area just gets wrapped up in the Longo Sarah thing, which is, by the way, I love those guys. I'm not saying it's better or worse. I just mean, how did you avoid all that? Um, actually, when I first moved to Long Island, I actually had hit up uh, Sarah, and I kept getting Nick. And yes. I was like, hey, man, I'm 1-0 pro. I want to train with you guys. And he kept, like, selling me on, oh, the like— Mad Monkey? Yeah, he kept selling me on, like, the classes. Yeah. You know, I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it. I want to, like, work out with your fight team. I don't want to work out with your Joe Schmoes. Were you a pro at that point? I was 1-0, oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he just kept pushing me. I'm like, no, I don't, no. I don't want to take your classes, that's you know? That's so funny. And uh, I think that's what happened, you know? I think, you know, I think Nick and Matt cut ties, man. Yeah, I heard that. That's unfortunate. Yeah. I was at the fight where Nick Sarah... Um, at the Prudential Center, I think it was the Kimbo James Thompson fight. Okay. Where he got kicked in the leg so much he sat down and the ref was like, You gotta stand. And he refused to stand. So they just called it. Did you ever see that one? No, I didn't. Yeah, that was a ignominious end to a uh, fighting career. Um, all right, man. Well, you're here. I gotta say, I was very much surprised by your announcement. You were so uh, uh you know, you're a vet, you know, I mean these media days, you know how they handle them, yep. but there was no tell. You had your cards real close to the vest. <laughs> Did anybody pick up on the fact that this was coming? Um, I mean, a few people. Really? You know, uh, well, I mean, I'm just an idiot. In, then, in huh? a few interviews, I kind of said eh, it might be my last oh, one. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, so let's talk talk it through. From the way it sounded. At the post-fight scrum you did, it was those four losses, three of which were by split decision, which is just one of the most brutal things yeah. I've ever seen in the sport. 
that really just, I don't know, I don't want to say it incorrectly, so please correct me if I am. It kind of sapped your will for this. Yeah, for sure. It definitely took some wind out of my sails. I, because um, I, w- I would rewatch them and, and I felt like I won them. And at the end of the day, though, it still doesn't matter how I felt in the history books, I lost. You know, so it was like, man, like going, I had to like fight demons coming into this fight. Like, can you even win, Dennis? Like, do you, it's been two years. You were telling yourself that? <laughs> like, no, man, you can do it. Like, you won those last fights. You know, it's been, not having won in two years is crazy to me. Wow. You know? What's the, I mean, how low did you get? After the Rick Glenn fight, I I told myself I was going to retire. Yeah. And retire and like not fight anymore? Yeah. Or, or when Go, did you... going into that Rick Glenn fight, I was like, if I lose, I'm going to retire. Wow. And then I thought I won. And I looked at my corner. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, you did it. You did exactly what you had to do to win that fight. And then the results came out and I lost. And I looked at them like, I've got to retire. I told myself I retire. And I, I sat home for like two months and, uh, you know, played some video games and worked on my YouTube and stuff like that and gained a little bit of weight. I was like, man. <laughs> You're like, this is kind of fun. I'm, I'm missing, no, I'm missing something. Like, okay. I don't feel, I don't feel good about this, you know? I feel like I'm wasting time. And uh, so I started training to start feeling better and I, you know, started feeling better about myself and um, I just had some things go down in my life that I was like, man, I need to focus. I need something to focus on something else, you know, and, and a fight would do that for me. And uh, started just training my butt off and was on the phone with my manager, get me a fight, get me a fight, get me a fight. And I wanted to fight on the Anaheim card. The one that got canceled? That got canceled, yeah. yeah. So when it got canceled, it, I got kind of bumped up to the Brooklyn card, and I was like, all right, let's do it. You, you must have been happier, right? Because did you have family and friends who attended this Yeah, one? yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's kind of bittersweet with uh, fighting close to home because you get people like, hey, what's up with tickets? Like, what do you got? And it's like, yo, man, I'm, I'm focused on getting into a fist fight. You're, and you're hitting me up for tickets. Like, get out of here. Dude, friends and family are scum. Even, <laughs> even in my line of work, it's like, dude, I, I get one press pass for me. Right. Right? And they're like, what's up with tickets, bro? Yeah. I'm like, I don't work for Ticketmaster. Yeah, I yeah. get one pass. You know, one of my favorites is, where can I get tickets? I'm like, I'm actually the last person you should ask because I've never bought a ticket in my life. <laughs> I don't know. True. Has the UFC ever given you tickets? Yeah. No, no, no. When you're on the card. Um, yeah, they always, you get four tickets if you're fighting on the card. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, well, that's why they hit you up. Yeah, but you only get four. So who gets them? Um, usually, like, my team and my family, you know. Uh, so, like, my brother and my wife came. And uh, usually I give one to, like, you know, my strength coach or whoever, you know, my manager. All right, so now it's Monday. You announced a retirement on Saturday. No regrets, huh? No. Feels good? Yeah. Feels right? Well, I mean, my foot still hurts. Yeah, no, okay. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that doesn't, you know, my knees are all, you know, scuffed up. Because um, the, the thing is, and we were talking about a little, like, you know, when I turned 30, just, I don't know if it was, like, in my brain, but just, I just felt like my body was recovering so much slower, and, and, and I didn't feel as good about training, you know? Um, How old are you now? I'm 32. Yeah. So in terms of retiring, like, it's been hanging around for a year and a half, something like that, yeah. you know? Um, How do you feel about the damage you've taken in your career? 
I think back to the Stevens loss. Yeah. That one, that was... Yeah, that I mean, that's a, that's one of the only ones that I really think... Um, I mean, you've dished out plenty. I don't mean to yeah, suggest yeah, that. Yeah, 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 no, for sure. And, and that's another thing that made me retire is because I'm not one of those guys that goes in there and has a one-hitter quitter power and is putting people away, or I'm not one of those guys that's a submission technician and submitting you really quickly where I'm getting out of there untouched, you know? Usually my fights are me and another guy punching each other for 15 minutes until one of us, you know, gets tired or something like that, and... and I accept that going into the fight that I'm going to take damage and I'm cool with it. Like I'm okay with dying in there, you know. Um, and that's not the way I should be going about life at this point, you know. I have kids. Uh, if I if I was single, I would still be like, yes, let's. If I was single and didn't have kids, you know. Uh, well, no, I am single. Sorry. Um, if I didn't have kids, yeah. I would be. I would still be fighting, I think. Yeah. So how much did the kids play a factor in this one? Sounds like a lot. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know. How old are the kids? uh, They're going to be four and six in April. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, They're getting up there. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I plan on being like a great-grandfather one day, and and I want to play with my grandkids and and be alert and witty with everything. Um, You know, I've done my research on, on the sport, and, you know, there's... You know, your brain gets a little banged up, you know? When when you first got into it, what did you think, A, a what did you think your exit was going to be like? And B, what was your thoughts about when the exit would come? Like, what were the circumstances under which you had thought? Like, once you were full on in, because yeah, I know at first yeah. you were like, yeah, I can make some money. But once you were like, okay, this is a career for the next however many years, what did you envision the exit to be? I, I actually envisioned my... my uh, Exit kind of being like a lot of fighters, great fighters, and it's a sad one where they become champion, they have got a big name, and it's kind of like, hey, you want $700,000 to fight even if you lose? And you're like, all right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, versus like ending like I did, like, you know, with a win and, and stuff like that, you know? Because um, I, think, I think that's very big in the sport where – Guy should have hung it up a while ago, but it's like, I'll go and get another paycheck, you know? When you watch like Liddell and Ortiz, and the simply, I don't want to besmirch what they are to MMA. They are pioneers and institutions, yeah. but at this stage, it's like, what is what is keeping them around other than what must be a lucrative payday, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, in their case, like... It's like they were fighting in a master's league, though. It wasn't like one of them was going against a young stud. No, you it, know? It, it, did it matter? Liddell right. got put out unless right. it, it, right. like, it looked right. like he did. You know? Yeah, you're right. So uh, you were trying to avoid something like that in the uh, early on. Yeah. 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 Um, how, how bad are the injuries that you've had? Um, I've fractured my tibula or fibula, one of the two. Yeah. Um, my nose, I mean, I deviated my septum, a few stitches, fractured my thumb. I mean, nothing crazy. Um, you know, I think I probably have a concussion or a few, you know. Um, but it's all the training that goes into that 15 minutes to fight, you know. Um, just constantly getting contusions on my foot and on my shins from, from sparring, you know. Because the way we spar in Long Island, it's like, yeah. Like, we're going to kill each other for 15 minutes. We're going to really simulate this fight, but we're just going to put on bigger stuff. Yeah. That's all, you know? Um, so, and it's a double-edged, double-edged sword because I'm going against 
the best guys on Long Island to try and get a really, really good look to become the best, you know? Um, so sometimes you're not coming out of those sparring sessions the same way you went in, you know? Sometimes you get a little banged up in those sessions and, and uh, you go into those fights damaged and hurt, you know? You know, the internet experts are going to hear this and say, well, why are you sparring like that then? Um, kind of to just get comfortable being... <laughs> trying to get comfortable being uncomfortable, you know? Um, if you're in there, you're patty caking, and then you get in a fight and you get hammered, how are you going to react if you're not used to it? You know, so being able to take damage and be able to react and still win, f- figure out a way to win. Yeah. Are you, when you hear guys say, oh, I don't even spar for camp, you know, um, I just at this point I just hit the mitts and work on drilling positions and I get in there and go. I guess for some guys that might work. But what you're saying is that would not work for you. Um, well, no, I mean, it would definitely work for me. I I, um, I actually, before this fight even got announced, I'm like, man, I'm going to do one last fight. I don't even think I'm going to spar. I'm just going to hit mitts and just do what I feel like doing, you know? Yeah. And then I got the fight and I was like, I have to spar just because I have to. I want to be ready, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, if I didn't spar for two years and I got back in there, I would still know how to fight, yeah. you know? Yeah, of course. It's a lifelong skill. Yeah. It's like riding a bike a little yeah. bit, right? Maybe yeah. you wouldn't win the Tour de France, but you could do yeah. all right with there, it. There are some guys that do need to work on their timing and stuff like that, and I don't think I'm one of those guys. What's that? I just keep going coming. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you find it over time. Yeah. Are you satisfied with your time in MMA? Um, yeah, I mean, I can... And, and that's another thing, too, is, is as I, I got up to... My six, number six in the world, you know, and as I started falling out of that, I uh, looked back on what I had done and who I had beaten, and I was kind of okay with it then, even though I kept on striving for more. Um, you know, a win over Max Holloway, who's the current champ, is it's awesome, yes. you know. Uh, I could hang my hat on that. I beat Clay Guida, who's a, a legend in, in the sport. Um, I strung together six wins in, in the featherweight division. I think I had like the most takedowns in the division. Um, so, I mean, I'm, it's pretty cool. What about the, I mean, I know this is an invasive question, but here you are. What about the money you made? Happy with it? Um, I mean, that was like another reason about retiring. Um, cause it doesn't pay to lose, you know, like for example, uh, what the Saints just lost the other day, and they're not going to become champions. Yeah, don't remind me in the NFL, but <laughs> they're going to go go home and and live a very very comfortable life. Um, in that four fight losing streak, I was fighting paycheck to paycheck. You know, so I even though to to the average person making fifty grand to show up, I'm like whoa, that's a lot of money. I only make I only make that in a year. Yeah, but now I have to pay taxes on that. I have to pay my manager. I have to pay my trainers. I have to, the diet that you have to eat is, is way more expensive than Hot Pockets and stuff like that, you know, eating eating very clean and, and the supplements and stuff like that. So 50 grand after all that said and done is like 25 grand, you know, something like that, you know, maybe less. Um, and then living on Long Island is expensive. You know, I have two boys that I, I have a mortgage on a house and, and, uh, so I was living fight to fight on that four fight lose, losing streak there. What would you like to see changed in MMA? Like, what would if what would be 
Okay, so the losses in the way that judging worked, perhaps this is part of the answer. But if uh-huh. you could change one thing about MMA, perhaps one thing that would have kept you around longer, what would that be? Um, two things, I think more judges, maybe seven judges. Um, and then the other thing being um, this, I know we're prize fighters, right? But the the fact of fighting for, you know, show and win versus just give me like... A, a bigger show, you know? Um, or a flat fee. A fl- yeah, a flat fee. Because the thing is, is if I was going in there, let's say I was getting $100,000 to fight. If I was going in there like, all right, I'll just fall down the first round. Like, I'm not going to stick around in your company for very long. You know, no fighter thinks that way. Especially if they put in the proper training and everything like that. Everyone, whether I'm, I'm going to win or lose, I'm going in there every time to try and win. You know, I'm, I'm going in there to give it to my all. Um, and if they're guys that are willing to go in there and, and, and take a fall, they won't last long in the company and they'll get booted. Yeah. How, how's your relationship with UFC? Amazing. Yeah. You, you know, it's interesting. I talked to a lot of guys once they retire and they usually have, okay, I don't want to overgeneralize, yeah. but often they have hard feelings toward the organization. Yeah. yeah. You don't seem to. Um, well, no, I mean, I'm, I'm honored to have worked at, with the, the highest enchilant of MMA, um, Everybody behind the scenes was was very nice to me, and and I've always been a uh, yes man to the company. Um, I've been fortunate enough to not have to have a, a real job, if you will, and just focus on training. Um, like I said, I mean, I don't have a huge house, but I own a house. Um, I don't have a very expensive car, but I have, you know what I mean? I have these things. I've been able to put food on, on the table for myself and my kids and, and not really have to stress about bills. Um, so it could have been worse, you know, if I was working a toll booth or something like that, you yeah. know, uh, it's interesting. You know, it's like, if I hear what you're saying and certainly I don't want to besmirch the organization unfairly. On the other hand, if you reach six in the world, yeah, you should be yeah. paid. Yeah. You know what no, I, mean? I mean, I mean, that's, that's one thing that I am slightly bitter about is that if I was the sixth, if you're the sixth in the world, in the NBA, or if you had spent any year, eight years in the NBA, like, oh you're God, good. You're going to get paid. You're good. Six. You can be 60th yeah, and get paid. Yeah, but, I mean, even if you spend eight years in the NBA, like, you would have acquired a lot of money. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, that's the issue. Do you believe in things like MMA unionization at all? Um, I think, I think because, you know, the NFL and, and the NBA, those are all places, like, that I call it, NFL money, you know, I mean, they don't, they didn't start getting NFL money until they got unionized, you know. Yeah. Um, but the the uh, the sport is still very young compared to the NBA and the NFL. And like, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, if I if I was younger and started later, maybe I would get these these big dollars. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, I was like, man, if I started uh, MMA. Earlier, and I was older. I would have been able. I would have known more and been able to crush those guys out of the pioneers, you know, and out of these big stars. Now I like. I'm in that middle where it's just I'm a tough guy, you know. Yeah. F- favorite fight would be what the I mean, as people may not remember. Of course, 2013, you beat Max Holloway. Yes. Um, is that your favorite win? Um, well, at the time, I, I um, no, it's not my favorite win. No, what's the favorite one? Um, probably, probably the Matt Grice fight. Oh, that was a dogfight. Yeah, b- because I remember as soon as that final bell 
wrong, just being like, <gasps> and gasping for air because I had left it, everything I had in the octagon yeah. there, you know? Uh, least favorite fight? Uh, and not so much because of the way the judges put it. But when it was over, you just, that was an unpleasant experience. Probably, I mean, the most boring fight I've ever been in was against, uh, who's the Japanese guy I fought? Uh, Kawajiri? Yeah, Kawajiri. I remember, because I had lost twice, and I was just doing what I had to do to secure a win, so it became like a wrestling match, you know? Yeah. Um, and not not necessarily my fault. He kept shooting on me, too, so I was grappling back, you know? Um, or even even the Glenn fight. Kind of sucked too, you know. I remember <laughs> just him not really, just him just being lanky and kicking me from the outside. Like, dude, we got a bang here. What's going on? Yeah, you know. Uh, what's the most injured you ever went into a fight? Mm. UFC or not UFC? Oh, uh, the most injured I ever went to into a fight was against uh, was the finale against uh, Diego Brandao. I had uh, actually like totally annihilated my elbow really bad. It was this big and purple about four weeks out where I didn't even know if I'm going to be able to compete. I had got uh, arm barred and it um, hyperextended very, really bad. And, um, like, it was – I almost got a cortisone shot the week of the fight. But there was, like, a 33% chance that it could go the opposite way and balloon up and be in excruciating pain. The same one that he arm barred? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That must have been horrible. Yeah, so like that's why like when I when he started going and going over like like at here it was like torture. Ah! Yeah. yeah, it was already in, in a bad way. Oh man, that sucks. Yeah. Dude, this sport is hard, man. Yeah, it is hard to get ahead. You got to convince <laughs> like MMA judging the the more judges theory. I don't know if that would be better or worse. I have no strong opinion about it, but it's got to be weird because it's like figure skating where they're like this is the only time where I think fighting is an art. Because you judge it like art. Yeah. So, so there is two ways to look at it. I remember speaking with a buddy of mine, and I was saying, man, it, it really sucks that these judges don't know they, they, that they don't have education behind MMA to give the reason why they won. And my buddy goes, you know what? I actually think it's good that they don't lo- know what they're looking at because it's kind of like if you were to watch a street fight, who won? You know? Yeah, but at the same time, on the media side of things, like from my vantage point. It's like, oh, they'll make a scorecard for something. Like, say one of your scorecards that were super fucked up. Yeah. They're not accountable to me. And I, who am I speaking on behalf of? I'm speaking on behalf of the public. The, that's why I'm here, right? So that the public can't ask the judges questions. Right. Or the commission questions. But right. ostensibly, I can. Mm-hmm. And they won't answer to me either. So there's never any public accountability. It's like, if you got a scorecard and you believe that Dennis Bermudez didn't win this fight, I would like to hear some justification yeah. for that. Yeah. That's where That's where I think it falls short for me. Mm, I never, I never saw that. You yeah, know? man. Because I, I know I lost a few fights, and and people knew who the judges were, and were like adding them on Twitter. Yeah, but and they I, don't say shit. And I almost was gonna be like, yeah, man, you want to like meet up and talk about this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it's true. Like for example, I, uh, after the whole Tito and uh, Ken, uh, Ken, Tito and Chuck debacle in California, Andy Foster went and spoke to everybody in the media. The guy who runs the commission out there. Yeah. When was the last time you saw that? Yeah, it's Never. very rare. Never. Very rare. So what are you going to do? Um, I'm working on getting, like, a real job. Um, I'm working on uh, – I'm, I'm pretty 
working on trying to get into the PSEG. What is that? Which is like uh, a lineman. And uh, it's, it's a little dangerous, which is kind of like will keep me on edge a little bit. Um, you couldn't take a job like... You couldn't, I don't know. I couldn't be in a cubicle. Yeah, you're just not built yeah, for it. Yeah. yeah, unless, like, I'm allowed to play video games all day, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the greatest yeah, cubicle. Yeah, um, But, uh, you know, people's power goes out, and you're kind of like their superhero for the time while it's out until you get going again, you know? Bro, you want to work in this weather? I'm tough, man. Yeah, you are tough. I will give you that. If nothing, you, no, I mean, you're more than that. You are tough as shit. It's it's a it's, tough. Stuff. It's a it's a yeah, lifestyle. It's an honorable job, you know. With, yeah. I mean, for me, it's it's the pension is is nice, right? And, and great yep. benefits. And I, again, I have two boys, and whatever it takes. You gotta look after them. Did they watch your last fight? Um, I think so. At home or? Yeah, I think so. No, they weren't at the arena. They weren't the arena. No. Okay. Yeah, I thought well, about it, but I was like, I don't. I had this buddy come over to my house, and he's from uh, Venezuela, and his kid was five, so in between yours. Yeah. And he was drinking coffee and watching fights on my laptop. I was like, yo, man, is this normal? And he's like, <laughs> do you mind, like, asking, like, do I mind? I was like, it doesn't matter if I mind. Why is he drinking coffee and watching <laughs> fist fights? He's like, he's good. I'm like, okay, man. Your kids drink coffee? They do not. Yeah. Hang on, I just picked up drinking coffee... Within the last two years, it's unicorn blood. I every oh. this is my third of the day. Yeah, because I had gone overseas to do an MMA tour for the troops, and uh, I was with Gray Maynard, and he put me onto some espressos and stuff like that. And I just kind of like, I felt like it tasted like crap, but like you know, a few layers in the bus, I'd be like, "Yep, whoa, man, I'm kind of pumped." So, Ca- like, how about this for a little stat? Caffeine for you. So if you think about all the different drugs people take for performance enhancement, illegal or legal, mm-hmm. there are some drugs that if you want to run, they're good for that, or sprinting or long distance. If you want to lift weights, they're good for that, but they're not good for running. Right. Caffeine is one of the only substances known to man that is good for any kind of athletic performance. How about that? Yeah, I like it. I'm with it. Um, if folks want, we got to move things along because mm-hmm. the show has no time. Uh, you have a YouTube channel. Yes. Menace Tube. Menace Tube, yep. Yes. What are, what are you going to put on there? What do you put on there? Um, I've done, like, fight predictions and stuff like that, and I was doing cooking with the Menace for a little bit. Hell yeah. Um, but it's kind of turning it more into just trying to put out cool content, whether it's me jumping off cliffs. I want to do, like, a paintball episode, um, racing fast cars, whatever, you know, sky jumping, anything. Yeah. Anything adventurous, you know? Well, I wanted to have you in for a lot of reasons because I wanted to talk to you, obviously. But there's this thing in MMA where sometimes people retire and we we spend too much time talking about them because they were a champion. And that's, you know, that's that's common. Yeah. But I think you had a great career, man. You were one of my, I, I was like, oh, Dennis is on the card. Here comes an action fight. Yeah. You never had to worry. And and I, you, I hope you know that from people who have at least some understanding of the sport, I do not present myself as an expert, but I've been around for a little while. I really respected your game. I really respected the attitude you brought. You Thank had a, you. you were a tough guy, but not just a tough guy, like a like a like a a committed competitor. And uh, I have a ton of respect for you, man. And I'm sad to see you go, but it sounds like it's the right time, and that means it's a good decision. Yeah, I'm. Um, also, I started a podcast 
Uh, it's called Menace and the Man, and it's different than you know the MMA hour where Good. I ask other fighters. I can ask them questions that you might not be able to. This is true. Like Phil Baroni, you on Tinder? What's going on, man? <laughs> you dr- hey he? Phil, Phil, are you drunk right now? You know <laughs> yeah. stuff like I like to to you know mess with fighters a little bit. Good. And uh, I'm kind of allowed to because they know exactly. I know I'm in their shoes. There's you know? a kinship there. Is that yeah. on, is that on iTunes? Where is that? Uh, yes, on iTunes. Yep. Uh, it's called what's it called again? Menace and the Man. Menace and the Man. Dennis, we got to move along, but I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Congratulations Thank on a you. great career. And Thank um, you. if you ever come back, come back here on the MMA Hour. How about All that? All right, brother. Thank you so much. And my man Joel will see you out. All right. There he is. And the mug is ours, by the way, <laughs> not yours. <laughs> what's up? Okay. All right, so we, I think we have Mr. Crowder on Skype. We're going to get stuff set up. they got to rearrange some of these cameras, and we're going to get him on. I apologize to Mr. Crowder. He was supposed to be on 10 minutes ago, but the whole show got... We just don't have enough time is really the issue here. We don't have enough time. All right, are we ready-ish? Getting there? Uh, okay. Oh, my God, my phone is just blowing up. Um... All right, let's go to him now. I apologize so sincerely for the delay. He is on Skype. He was in our co-main event. He is your victor. Mr. Alan Crowder is here. Hi, Alan. How are you? Hey, what's going on? Alan, I'm so sorry for keeping you delayed. I sincerely apologize. It's just hard to manage everything on a timely order. Thank you for your understanding. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. No problem at all. Wow, that is a crystal clear Skype connection. You're looking sharp over there. (laughs) I appreciate it. Appreciate it. (laughs) All right, let's, uh, first of all, let's get a health update. You took that vicious knee. We didn't hear from you after the fights. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, man. I, uh, you know, the doctors wanted to stop the fight. You know, I feel like I probably could have kept on going. Um, you know, I mean, it caught me off guard. I was not expecting the knee to come for sure. Uh, but, you know, I feel like I'm all right. You know I mean? I got to go see a neurologist and get cleared and everything, but I, I'm, I'll be good to go. So you have no headache? You didn't have one that day? No eye headache. trouble? I got oh, you did. I got a little headache, but that's about it. Okay, let's 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 talk us through the fight before we get to just the ending. The game plan was what? Weather a storm and then see what he really had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the goal was, you know, stay away from the right hand. You know, I mean, I knew that's that's basically what he had was the right hand. I wanted to stick away from that, and you know, and uh, you know. I switched up my stance. I went to a more of a, uh, a southpaw stance. You know what I mean? It helped me you know, move my right more. Um, I should have had my hands up a little bit higher. Like I probably could have avoided a couple shots um, if I had my hands up a little higher. Going into the second round, uh, you know, that, that's where I wanted to get him at. You know what I mean? I knew his cardio was down. He started throwing punches, and I could start seeing him coming, you know, really easily. Um, you know, and just kind of the goal is to get him on the ground. And, you know, I said on a previous interview, I want to get him on the ground. I want to bloody him up with elbows. And, uh, you know, that was the goal. That was the game plan. All right, so in the early part of the first round, he's a heavy hitter, yes? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, every heavyweight's a heavy hitter, though. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, all of us are, you know? So, so um, heavy hitter, but nothing unusual. Yeah, yeah. I, I, was not, uh, I was not blown away by, you know, his power or anything. Um, he has some good shots. He does have a long reach. Um, you know, he's a very athletic guy. You know what I mean? I think with time, he could be a good fighter. Um, but it's going to be with time. You know what I mean? I think he needs, you know, another four or five fights. All right. So when did you feel him start to get slowed down? When did you realize, okay, I think the uh, initial storm is over. Uh, I would say probably about a minute and a half into the first round. You know what I mean? Once I got on top of him, I was feeling pretty comfortable. 
Um, you know, he had uh, a little better defense on the ground than I thought he would have. Uh, but other than that, you know, I feel uh, I feel like um, probably about a minute and a half in. The takedown, you got it, uh, pre- if not right away, pretty close to right away. And then you passed to Crucifix, if I'm not mistaken. It did seem there that there was a pretty big skill gap in your favor. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, definitely his work on his ground game. Um, you know, he ended up using the cage, I think, pushing me off. And, uh, you know, I made a couple mistakes, too. I had a little ring rust, you know what I mean? There was a lot of little things that going back and looking, I was like, man, I should have done this. I should have done this. I could have ended the fight there. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, that's just part of the game, I guess. All right, so did you feel like you won the first round? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I won the first round. Okay, so then we head to the second. It was close. It was a close first round. You know what I mean? I get him yeah. probably the first minute and a half, and then uh, you know once I got on top, um, eventually I think he did get up, and then um, you know what I mean? I, I would say I say it was a very close first round. I say maybe uh, like a ten nine score for me. Okay, fair enough. Then we move to the second, and there was this weird moment, man, where you were screaming at him. First of all, why were you screaming at him? Second, what were you saying? Uh, honestly, I, I was kind of hyped up in the moment. You know what I mean? I was basically just talking a lot of trash. Um, you know, the words I was saying, I don't really want to repeat. Uh, but basically, <laughs> I was just trying to get in the uh, – I knew his punches were slow now, and uh, I knew they didn't have the power they had on before, so I was trying to get him to throw. I wanted to counter and take him to the ground or, or counter and catch him with a you know, big left hand um, was the game plan um, from the second round. Uh, and I was just kind of getting – I was just trying to fire him up and get him to throw and, you know, so I could take advantage of it. Did he re- did he verbally respond ever? No, no, he never said anything. He actually uh, was very surprising. He stayed calm and uh, you know just kept backpedaling. Okay, so the sequence with the knee—you said you didn't know it was coming. You had one for folks who I had people being like, "Why is it illegal?" It's like, dude, it doesn't matter what the hands are doing if the knee is on the ground. If a knee is on the ground, it is it, it, the hands can be both up, both down, one up, one down. Does not matter. Did you feel like you were safe, and was that part of the reason why you were sort of postured in the way that you were? Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, you know what I expect him to do is I expect him to kind of come to the side and try to throw a big bomb right hand, and I was planning on ducking underneath and, and shooting in and getting my takedown. I knew once I got him on the ground, you know, what I mean that last time that'd been the end of the fight. Um, but then uh, the knee came out of nowhere and 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 got me, you know, me solid. Um, you know, it's just one of those things, I guess. So he yeah, had made so a point. Yeah, he, he had made the point that he he thought you were getting up. He thought, oh, um, I'm going to need this guy as he gets to his feet. Were you trying to get to your feet? Uh, yeah, I mean, not really. I saw him. I saw him moving over to the side, and I was I was just waiting on him to throw that bomb. You know, I knew that you know with my knee down, he couldn't throw that knee uh, into my head. You know what I mean? So I was kind of you know really looking to avoid that. And then, uh, you know, whenever he started going to the side, then the knee just came out of nowhere. So, yeah. Did you feel it? Like a lot of times, guys say when they get hit with a big shot like that, they don't even feel it until later. It's not like a, it's not like a liver punch or something. What, what, what yeah, how yeah, were you it, physically? It more me. Yeah, it more stunned me than anything. Um, you know, what I mean, uh, I fell back to my back, um, and I and I knew that you know he wasn't allowed to do that. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm gonna take. I was like, I'm gonna take a second, so I'm gonna get back up. We'll be good to go. And then uh, the doctors come running in there, and they they immediately stop the fight and whatnot. Um, you know what I mean? They kept me back there in the back for like thirty minutes. You know what I mean? They had to sit there and talk to me, ask me a bunch of questions, and uh, you know a bunch of crap like that. Um, you know what I mean? I'm not excited with the uh, with the with the win. I don't feel like it's really a win. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, it is what it is. But 
do you uh so, so you don't have any lost memory you remember the knee and everything after it yeah 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 okay well that's a good sign that's a much better sign all right i'm yeah. happy to hear that yeah so so then it says like you're not satisfied with the win but you were doing really well i mean did you feel like if that had not happened you were on your way to a perhaps a decision victory or something more Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I feel like if had that knee not hit me in the head, you know what I mean? I feel like I was going to get him back on the ground. You know what I mean? I still had more left in the tank. And uh, and I, I feel like I'd have got him on the ground, not to finish with the elbows like I planned on, you know, from the beginning. Uh, did you hear the crowd chanting for you and then calling him asshole? Uh, so I didn't hear that, but I know my, my family and friends over there, they all told me that he was getting a very hard time. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. So, uh, okay, people have said, and I don't believe this, but you were there. Maybe you have a better idea. People have said that he was facing adversity and he threw that illegal knee on you because he wanted a way out. You buy that theory? I don't think he was looking for a way out. I think he just, I think he's more inexperienced. You know what I mean? He's not been doing this very long. You know what I mean? Uh, he, He stepped out to the side. I believe in his mind, he thought it was... I know he didn't know it was. I know he knew he's not allowed to throw that knee with me on the ground. But I think heated up in the in the heat of the moment. You know what I mean? He just you know what I mean forgot for a split second and threw that knee trying to get that finish. Um, and he just made a mistake. You know, another mistake of many mistakes that he makes. Um, but I know you know I, mean, I don't feel like he was trying to cop out of the fight. You know what I mean? Uh, he's a tough dude, and um, you know I, I I think it was just an inexperienced kind of thing. So. You you mentioned you think with some training he can get better, but it looks like yes he's got big power. He is athletic. To your point, he is training with a good team. That these are all great good things for his future. But it looked to me like on the ground there was just some positional awareness issues that were a bit of a red flag. How far away is he from being what you would probably consider to be on your level? Uh, probably a couple of years. You know what I mean? Probably a couple of years. I would say. I mean, on the ground, you know what I mean? He's got heavy power, you know what I mean? You look at some of the guys in the heavyweight division, that's all you really need, you know what I mean? You can touch somebody's face and you put them to sleep, you know what I mean? You can get that win and you can go, you know, you can do big things, um, you know what I mean? But as far as, you know, ground skill level, he's got a ways to go. Yeah. And and what about you? You got to get to a neurologist when? Today? Tomorrow? Uh, the UFC's got a call. They got to set it up. Um, hopefully sometime this week. Um, you know, I want to get back to my activities and stuff. Um, you know, I'm ready to start back. I want to, I want to start back training as soon as possible. You know what I mean? I got things to fix and, uh, you know, places to improve on in my game. And I plan on doing that as well. So, you know, as soon as I can get uh clear to go, I'd like to fight, you know, hopefully in April or May. What did the doctors tell you about taking it easy? Uh, they told me I'd be jumping around, you know what I mean? Take it really easy. If I had any kind of pain, any kind of nausea feeling or anything like that. Yesterday kind of sucked. But I woke up this morning and I, and I wasn't too bad. You know what I mean? I still have a slight headache, but uh, it's not nothing nothing serious. You, and are you at home? Can you fly? Yeah, yeah I've already flew. I'm already home. I'm actually at work right now. Um, it's just slow. Wow, look at you. Back on the job. What did the folks at the job say? Uh, well, I haven't really had anybody here this morning. I don't think they knew that I got back so quick. Um, you know what I mean? So I'm just, I'll, I'll see everybody tonight. We got class starts at five or at six actually. So, I mean, I'll go in and everybody come in and talk and ask questions and stuff. So should may be a good time. I, may I ask what it is that you do? I actually own my own fitness facility. It's a new millennium martial arts conditioning. It's here in Medvin. Um, anatomy of a fighter. They actually covered me. A guy named Will Harris. He covered me and he done a great story on it. You can oh. see it all on his videos and stuff. Yeah. That guy is tremendously talented. You can catch his stuff on YouTube, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, he does such a great job. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, he he showed you know the best sides of me, and I mean, he just he does a great job for sure. And your your uh, MMA or excuse me, your UFC experience has been kind of interesting. You had the great win in the Contender Series, fell short in your debut, but then you come back and you were looking pretty good in this one. And it's a weird DQ. You must be itching to get that first UFC win. That's like no controversy, uh, clear, uh, straightforward. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I want it so bad, you know what I mean? Like, I, I wanted this fight right here to go my way. You know, I had plans to get that knockout. I wanted that bonus, you know what I mean? Um, and then, you know, had the, you know what I mean? It's, I mean, a win's a win, you know what I mean? And I'm happy to have the win, but it's, the, it's, the, it's not that feeling, you know what I mean? I want that first UFC victory, you know what I mean? And uh, I want that clear cut, you know what I mean? Nobody can say anything about it. It's my win, you know what I mean? And that's, yeah. that's the plan, you know what I mean? So as soon as I can get back in the ring and they set me up, I'm ready to roll. All right, well, I'll tell you what. Don't exercise until the doctors clear it because we want to make sure when we get you back, you're 100% and ready to go. And um, I hope this opportunity – I'll, I'll leave you on this. Did you get out of this opportunity what you, what you, what you wanted? I mean, the DQ kind of hurt things, but your name's out yeah. here and you got the win. I mean, I wanted to show that he wasn't ready for the UFC yet. You know what I mean? And I feel like I've done that. I feel like he's, you know, showed he wasn't experienced, showed that he still had some work to do on the mm -hmm. ground. He's a strong guy. He got back up. You know, most people, when I get him on the ground, they don't get back up. Um, you know, but uh, I had suffered a knee injury, you know what I mean, about uh, 10 weeks, you know what I mean, out from, well, it's been about 12 weeks now. Um, but I actually had a second-degree tear in my MCL, so I didn't get to work my ground game the way I wanted to until really the last couple weeks. Um, but, you know, I mean, it is what it is. Uh I feel like I got out, you know what I mean? I got my name out there, you know what I mean? A lot of people know who I am now, and uh, that feels really good. My Instagram's skyrocketed, you know, I've got like a thousand followers in the last day, which is awesome. Um, you know, I think it's going to set me up for a, for a better future for sure. Well, I hope to, yeah, I hope to see it. Uh, get well soon. Thank you for making some time for us again. Sorry that there was a delay, but we appreciate the conversation just the same. Thank you, Alan. Yeah, it's awesome, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, there he goes, Alan Crowder, one of the – Hardest working men in the sport. All right, we have not a moment to waste. We go from the uh, frying pan into the fire. It is time now, ladies and gentlemen, for the sound off. Let's do it now. He's the ahi to my empanada. He's the arroz to my frijole. He is the club to my Colombia. The one and only Danny Segura is here. Yo, what's good, man? What's up, Mr. Segura? All good, dude. Great job this week with the Thank coverage. You. you did. Folks, may not know that was Danny's work. Yeah, learned a little hard lesson about white balance, but other than that, I, I did. I, I did. I learned a lot, man. But folks, don't. I don't want to even get into it. But for folks who don't know, trust me when I tell you that that you could not have asked for more from him, and you did a great job. I thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one, one man army, but uh, you know, got the job done. Um, yeah, overall, pretty pretty happy with the coverage we provided this weekend. Um, good job also on the pre and, and post fight show. Yeah, I did do a good job, didn't I? Yeah, always. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we don't have a moment to waste. How were the, I didn't even ask you about this. How were the calls? The calls were good, man. They were they were good. All right, not as good as before. Not as good as before, but nonetheless, still pretty good. All right, all right. I think it's the cold, man, slowing people down. You know, it's a holiday today. We're out here thugging <laughs> that's, it. That's true. We're out, here, we're, out, we're out here grinding. All right, let me know. <laughs> all right, let's let's get this started. Well, it was the first show on ESPN, so um, I was I was very busy working in the back, but I know you had the broadcast up. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on. Correct, on this. I did have the broadcast up. Yep. yep. Hey, Luke. Hey, Danny. Big fans of the show. This is Mike calling from Deerfield Beach, Florida. I just wanted to ask, what do you give, uh, you know, the first show on ESPN's overall grade uh, based off the flow, based off of, you know, performances? 
commentating. I truly like Trevor Whitman being added as the coach factor. I like that. I enjoyed that. Um, you know, kind of had the paper pay per view esque feel. Mix it a little bit of the old Fox. I kind of see what they did there with just swapping out the name. Production does well, but I kind of expected a little bit more. I did like the intro. I kind of wish they would lean more towards that type of flow. Um, but I just wanted to ask overall, what did you give UFC Brooklyn? Great. I appreciate you guys. Thank you again. All love from South Florida. All right. South Florida represents. Shouts out to South Florida. I mean, there's nothing else to do but call the show. So I appreciate that. There's the beach. <laughs> how, there's, how cold is it? There's good you Cuban food. Hold on. What is the weather? It's like, oh, so my parents are like, oh, they texted me this morning. He's like, it's so cold. And I'm like, it's 66. Like That's like literally like 60 degrees more. Yeah. It's one-tenth the uh, temperature here. Yeah. Uh, okay, what did I give it? I would give it a pretty high grade. Mm-hmm. I made this point on the post-fight show, Danny, which was they learned a lot from that first Fox show where they had the one fight and it ended quickly. Can you imagine if they'd done the one fight this time? It would have been half the length yeah. of JDS versus Kane 1. They didn't want to do that. They had a much better presentation. They had a really, I thought, a pretty good card, to be honest with you. I some people were bellyaching about it. I liked it. But here's what I think I would say the most. I was talking to my buddy R.J. Clifford, who works at Fox, and I was saying the UFC just kind of took their production elements. They stripped the Fox logo and put an ESPN thing on there. He's like, well, yeah, that's because ESPN – excuse me, that's because UFC still does the production. Yeah. Right. What does that have to do with anything? I get that there's continuity, but I would have thought that the occasion of being on ESPN would have prompted them to do more than creating just a couple of different graphics packages. But apparently not. So I, I would give that a low grade. Whitman, they still haven't quite figured out how to use, but he yeah. was already kind of awesome. That's sort of where I come down on this. Yeah. Well, I, I was working a lot in the back, so I wasn't really paying too much attention. Um, you know, sometimes you you miss a little bit of the action. And also, they had a broadcast up, which wasn't the same thing we were looking at on the ESPN Plus, right? Uh, it's slightly different. Slightly different, yep. yeah. Um, but I, I did like the Trevor Whitman. I think they still have things to figure out. I feel like he was a little too quiet sometimes. Yeah. Um, but when he did speak, he gave great insight and did add to the broadcast, which, you know, I thought that was great. And, you know, as I told you, I think it was on last sound off, last episode of the MMA Hour, like, they need to make the UFC consumption as easy as possible, right? Because... I feel like all these other sports that are on on ESPN are, are fairly easy to consume. The rules are straightforward, um, and they do a pretty good job at, at explaining anything, everything. With MMA, it's like a little harder, a little trickier. Um, so having definitely a coach in there that can that can break down what's going on in between rounds is it's a good thing. Here's my one complaint beyond this: the ESPN Plus interface yeah. is garbage. It is it is not user friendly. It's clunky. It's clunky. It's mixed. It's like here's the prelims in Espanol. Here's the prelims. In English, here are the post limbs. Here's the it's just it's this glut of content, ineffectively organized. Yeah. The user interface. If anyone from ESPN is watching this, I love the fact that it's five dollars a month. I'm a customer. I will be a customer as long as you guys keep offering value. I, and I believe, I believe that they will get it right. But as I speak to the today on the show, yo, ESPN Plus, your interface is straight basura. Please, yeah. please work on that. It's also a brand new platform, so I'm sure they'll, they'll be fixing it. Of and course, stuff. it's, yeah. it's going to get better with time. I'm sure. Yeah, same same with UFC Fight Pass. I think when it first rolled out, it wasn't like it was terrible. The biggest thing, yeah. and they they finally got down. So let's get right into it. Um, the stoppage was probably the the biggest talk point yeah. leaving uh, yeah. leaving that fight. Okay, uh, so let's talk about that. Yep. Hi, hi. This is Russ from York, England. Big fan of the show. Uh, my question is this: 
Dana White said after the main event, you've got two champions in a super fight. Let them fight. Let them finish. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. Should there be a meritocracy in how long a fighter is allowed to continue? I appreciate some fights are more significant than others, but surely all fighters should be able to fight until they're deemed unable to continue. Thank you. Right. Do you, have a, do you have a problem with the stoppage now Now having some time to reflect on it? You know, I, I went back last night and, and, and saw it again. And I do think it, it was a bit early, but I didn't think it was criminally early. Like, I didn't think TJ got robbed. Like, it was clear that TJ was hurt. He was wobbling. Um, and I think since the initial touch, I think it was like 12 seconds it goes that, that Cejudo's attacking him. And I think, you know, 12 seconds might not sound like a lot, but if you're just counting one... Two, three, that's a, yeah. And the whole time, I know TJ was saying like, hey, I was going for that single, but he was going for the single for 12 seconds and he couldn't get it. And man, you you really think you're going to take down Cejudo too? Uh, Maybe, I'm not saying he he, he won't be able to, but it is a tough ask. It is a very tough Um, ask, especially when you've been rocked. Yes, so I I think if they would have let the fight, I wouldn't wouldn't hate if they would have let the fight go on longer, I think, in, in these championship fights. And when when it's there's so much at stake, I think it's okay for fighters to to take a little bit of a beating. You know, you don't want to take not like the Dan Hooker scenario where you got somebody that's so young, right? There's really nothing at stake. You're already losing a lot, uh, a lot of the fight. You know, just call it. You no, know, in, in this case, you know, let the fight go on a little bit. But I didn't think it was the worst stoppage in the world. So I went back and I watched the Cerrone and Hernandez uh, stoppage. Hernandez was wrestling when they stopped it too. Now, how thoroughly he was wrestling, not very. He was hurt, obviously. But this idea that like, oh, he was still wrestling, therefore that's intelligent defense. Well, sort of. Like, yes, if he was just laying there, well, that would be terrible. But that you're moving is not necessarily enough. It has to be really kind of coordinated and effective that you're reaching is not all that much. Look, could he have probably let it go a little longer? I think that much is yeah. incontestable. Yeah, he could have let it go a little bit longer, and I don't think it would have been the end of the world. But this idea that it's some kind of egregious stoppage, you know, that this is some kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the worst stoppage is off the top of my head. But, you know, we're, it's uniformly bad. No. I know Dana White got out there and said oh, this was a you know, terrible stoppage. He also said he thought Greg Hardy looked amazing. Like, oh, he can definitely fight. I was like, that was not the lesson I took from this. I mean, yeah, I don't know about that maybe one. in the future he will. I'm not writing him off. Right. But I didn't look at that performance as particularly inspiring. So there's a lot of times you get these media narratives that begin to carry their own weight. Sorry. is it Was it, was it an A-plus stoppage? No. Probably C-plus, B-minus. Somewhere in there. But that's a passing yeah. grade. Yeah, for sure. I would say, like, in the scale of okay and bad, you know, it's a few degrees on the okay side. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't think it was the worst thing in the world. No, it's not. It's just a totally made-up phenomenon that I don't buy at all. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Now, this next uh, caller asked two questions in one. So, obviously, uh, pertaining TJ and Cejudo and a couple other guys. All right. All right. What's going on? What's going on, guys? It's Ricardo from Toronto. Uh, I just wanted to get you guys' opinion on the aftermath of TJ Dillashaw and Henry Cejudo. Uh, I personally think he's going to get that rematch at 125 pounds because he made a pretty strong case for it in the post-fight press conference. And uh, I think it's just the fight to make. And also, uh, Cowboy and Connor seems like it's very possible now. Um, but does that really hold any value other than just pure entertainment? I don't think it really does much for the division. Uh, but it's, it's, an entertaining, it's an entertaining fight. But I uh, just want to get your opinion on that as well. Uh, thanks, guys. All right, so let's, you know, talk about TJ Cejudo first. What what happens from here? God, I don't know. TJ, yeah. I spoke to him about 
um, what he was going to do after this fight. And he was like, there's no one for me to fight at bantamweight because Asuncao and Moraish are going to be fighting first, and that needs to happen before a clear number one contender. Maybe it would have been Cruz, but obviously he's on ice too. So it's like, yeah. who's he going to fight? So he's definitely going to either look for the Cejudo rematch at 135 or he's going to try to go to 125. I think that's probably going to win out over Joseph Benavidez. Frankly, Benavidez has a win over Cejudo. That's a much more compelling rematch to me than anything else, but I don't know if that's the space that we're in at this point. So I guess it'll happen at either weight class, just I don't know which one. That one I don't have a strong read on. Do you? Um, You know, it's it's such a bizarre situation. I, I think they might run it again at 125, but this whole idea that there's no contenders, well, is because you're not defending your belt against the the real contenders, right? Like the you're getting the immediate rematch with Cody Garbrandt now now dropping down to Soto. So those guys got to pick up fights. And a sunset that's, that's right. just that's just in a couple of weeks. That's you know at the beginning of, of February. So just wait for that. And you know something the UFC has been, I feel like dropping the ball recently has is in the rivalries. For for example, the TJ Cody rivalry that was a great one. But because they ran it back to back, they sort of yeah. killed it and ended the life kind of short. Let these guys defend both of the belts and see what happens. Yeah, you know, you gotta let it simmer. Exactly. Let let it cook. Let it let it let it brew and stay and see cooking, what it fam. You. Yeah, bro. I don't like this whole immediate rematch thing unless it's like something insane. It also so, doesn't. It also ruins the fights themselves because yeah. the guys don't have enough time to really develop their skill sets exactly and yeah. make adjustments. Yeah, yeah. So I'm all for keeping these guys away from each other. I think there are enough fights for both Cejudo and TJ Dillashaw at their own weight classes to to stay entertained for for a little bit and run it back. You know, sometime later this year. Okay, that's what I'm feeling. Then the second part was Soroni Connor. Are you in? Yeah, I mean, I think this all depends on Connor and what kind of space he's in. I said yeah. this before on my own YouTube channel. People like got all bitter about it, but I don't really know why. Look, if he's really ready to commit and is training to commit to getting back into championship contention, then let's give him the latitude to do that. But I have a strong suspicion that that's not the case. And if which if it's not, then yeah. why do I care if he's you know going to fight Tony Ferguson at some point? Let the guys who are Tony Ferguson does nothing but get up, eat glass, train, take Kicks care of his family, opponents. and go to bed. You understand? Put that guy in the titleship contender, you know, queue. What about D Dustin Poirier? Boy, he's out here grinding, never out of the gym. Put that guy in the championship queue. But if you're not going to be doing that, and I'm not judging you for it. You got kids, a whiskey business. Like, do what you want to do, man. Life mm -hmm. is short. But if that's not the space you're in, yeah, sure. Have him fight Cerrone. Have, yeah. I said before, fucking have him fight, fight Paulie Malignaggi. I don't care. Yeah. Plus, he needs a tune-up fight. And Cerrone... He needs a big fight. Yeah, he needs a big paycheck. Yeah. I'm all, I'm all in yeah, for that I'm good. fight. I'm good. Yeah. I have no problem with it. And Cerrone's already down to fight in Ireland. He's down wherever. So he's, he'll, I mean, come on, he'll fight in the in the proper twelve, you know, manufacturing <laughs> distillery. Plant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that should be fun. But I'm all for it. Also, Al Quinto was kind of campaigning for that, but I like the Cerrone one better. Yeah, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Cool. Now let's talk a little bit about Cejudo, and then we move on to other topics. Alright. Hey, Luke and Danny. This is Ben from College Station. Love the show. Where the hell is um, It seems with every single fight, Henry Cejudo keeps since dropping two to Demetrius Johnson and Joseph Benavidez. Um, Henry Cejudo has looked exponentially better between each fight. So I was just wondering what the upper limit would be, or I guess the ceiling would be for Henry Cejudo. Thanks and keep the good work. Apparently, College Station is the where they have Texas A and M University. Yo, okay. my bad for not knowing the city where they're an agrarian college is. <laughs> <laughs> Pissing off everybody in uh, College Station, Texas. Sorry, what did he ask? I wasn't even listening. I was so focused What's on that. What's the ceiling on Cejudo? 
I mean, he, oh, God, he, that's such he a good DJ question. And now he beat TJ. Dude, right? I, I'm telling you, go back and you watch the tape. Yeah. Don't even bother looking at the tape until the Hayes fight because it's just a completely different guy after that. So to me, it's like, how much better can he get? Well, I don't know. I need to see more than 34 seconds every time he comes out here. And if he's if he's dramatically different from the, from the five rounds to the 34 seconds, the answer is maybe a lot, maybe not a lot. But here's what I do know. He's already made massive gains. If he can get better than he is already. We were I was talking about this with Eric. They were going to make a DJ versus TJ super fight. And then Cejudo beats both of them. Are you yeah. kidding me, man? So I, I don't know the answer to that because I don't think we can draw that conclusion. I need to see more tape. But I can say he has made a fundamental, clear, and massive, massive transformation. Yeah, he's 31, um, which we know that's a little bit older for, for the lighter weight yeah. classes. But uh, in MMA years, he feels super young. He feels like he's just hitting his, his peak, yeah. his prime. So. And physically, he's changing too, Yeah, which is a bit of another X factor, which can bring his game to life, you know? Yeah, for sure. Dude, I think he could be one of the greatest. I mean, we'll see what happens at 125. I, I feel like maybe if they do get rid of 125, I feel like that could low-key kind of be good for him because, I mean, once you beat DJ at 125, every any other fight, sure, there's the Benavidez one, one you can get back, but after that, there's, you know, depending on what happens, you know, you, you can rack up wins and, and build your legacy. But, man, going up to 135 also... Also says something. See, I, so. I feel like a little bit different. I feel like if he goes to 135, that could shorten things a little bit for him because it's still not clear how much that cut hurt TJ. I mean, maybe a little bit, That's maybe true. a lot. We don't yeah. know. But it's at least worth considering. And, you know, he, where is he going to be best? He's going to be best at 125. You're not going to get the best yeah. of him at 135. So well, it's better promotionally, but it might be worse for his record. If you're trying to be pound for pound, let's say, like, that's obviously keeping in mind and and, and assuming that he does well at 135. Like, if if you if you're the last champion at 125 and then you go up to 135 and you kill it there and you're like hey look this is not even my weight class and I'm destroying these guys yeah. out here big if though yeah that that is true yeah all right um Greg Gillespie let's talk about him all right hey Luke this is Chuck in your favorite city of Dallas Texas Ugh. my question is worst do city you in America think Gregor Gillespie is a legitimate contender at 155. I personally think that he is a tough matchup for any of the top contenders right now. Thanks. Dude, he's such a unique character. Yeah, he, he showed he's... me in the back after he did his scrum. He was eating bananas like a true primate. You know, and I say that in a very complimentary way. He's back there eating bananas, and I'm like, oh, my God. And he showed me how he cut his hair. He literally just he grows it out on, like, one side forever. And then right before the fight, he just takes it and throws it in front of his forehead and then just goes straight across with scissors. The dude's a madman. He's totally his own guy. The fishing thing is weird, but in a good way. Like, he's weird. He's totally weird, but in a very good way. Not in a bad way. Highly unusual. He goes, you know, he creeps back into the swamp between fights. You never hear from him. And then he comes back out here and just rolls on these guys. He's got unending cardio. He has elite wrestling. He has very good grappling. Striking, I don't know, because it's not fully on display. Dude, he is going to beat people. He is going to beat people. I think yeah. very highly of Gregor Gillespie. Dude, he's so skilled. Um, it it kind of sucks, I guess, from a media perspective that he's not out there like I know calling these guys out because you're like, man, you could you could you know be going so so much farther. But I respect him for you know sticking to you know his. His, what he believes in, I guess, and, and his morals. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, he just keeps racking up wins. You're going to get to the top at, at some point. So I wonder what's next for him. See, this is why I don't like the Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus 
uh, Anthony Pettis. Wow. He could have been fighting Anthony Pettis. See, and, and it would have served something to the division. Pettis, right? Pettis fighting another wrestler. I mean, what is that going to do for him? I mean, it, who to Pettis or Gillespie? Well, Gillespie would be great. For yeah. Pettis, it does nothing. That's right, but I mean, you're fighting one seventy. I don't know. Again, again, I, I recognize that that one has some real downside, but I think it's slightly overstated. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what next for him. Is there anyone specifically you'd like to see him match up with? Anyone top ten? Yeah. Anyone top ten? Yeah, I, I agree. I don't feel really strongly about like any specific fighter out there. All right, let's talk about weight classes. Hey guys, Josh from Windsor, Ontario, calling again. Um, I this question I've been wondering, always wondered. It, obviously, it's very hard to get into the UFC. It's very hard to climb the ranks in the UFC. But if you were to pick two divisions, one being the easiest to get into, one being the hardest to get into, and to be able to climb your way up, which one do you think it would be? Oh, that's All right. easy. Thanks a lot, guys. Easiest is going to be light, heavy, or heavy. Uh, on the men's side, hardest is probably going to be lightweight or welter. And then on the women's side, I would say easiest is going to be you know, 145, I suppose. Um, yeah. Maybe 125 because it's still newish. Hardest is going to be 115. These are easy questions to answer. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree with that. I mean, women's featherweight, literally, you can join the UFC and get an immediate title shot. So yeah, it's not it's not that hard. Yeah. Also, I feel like heavyweight is probably the easiest one for men. For sure. Yeah. Light heavy has some issues, but again, the, the guys at the top of that are very talented. So. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, so about Valentina Shevchenko. Really? And, uh, yeah. All right. This was a, a pretty good question. Um, this was actually left over from, from last week. Okay. Yo, this is Johnny from Memphis State University, and I just got to know. Does Shevchenko set the record for women's title defenses? If not, what's the over-under on that? Personally, I think she at least ties it. Let me know, boys. So how many does Rousey have? Who? Title defenses. He's talking about female title defenses? or Yeah. So how many does For, Rousey have? Uh, I think it was like eight or nine. That I many? Think. I don't think it was that many. No? Or six might have been. Something like that. Uh, can she match that? Probably. Yeah. She never gets injured. She's always prepared. Um but I, I have a feeling that they're going to find a way to make her go back up to 135 at some point, even for a super fight. So she may lose in there, although that wouldn't be a title defense issue. But, like, if she's not going to match it, I'd be very surprised. Very, very surprised. Uh, I guess we'll have to see, you know. Uh, if a Tatiana Suarez, who I know is not in that weight class, but if she goes up, that could present some interesting challenges. Uh, yeah. Or a um, Jessica Andrade, who I know is not in that weight class. But I'm saying if some of these... Andrade fought a 135 for crying out loud. Yeah, that's true. So at 125, she could still be a powerhouse. So we'll see. But um, it's she is definitely a contender for being able to do that. I think so. I mean, and also, like, she's so dominant. And at that weight class, I still have yet to see. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to throw shade to the other flyweights. But I have still have yet to see somebody that can pose a threat to her. Like, it's, it's probably going to be – Somebody bigger like Amanda at 135. I don't think at 125 we're going to see a, a real threat anytime soon. No. I think. Anything else? Um, I mean, we got a few things left over from last week. Thoughts on UFC 234. Maybe what's next for Kane if he wins. I don't know if you want, you, you want to tackle any Skip of those. Skip 234. Two. You got one on Kane. You got anything else besides that? Um, Askren and Woodley not wanting to fight each other. No, let's go Kane. Okay, let's do Kane. Hi, Luke and Danny. Chris here from the UK. With Kane back, what do you think happened should he win his match against Francis Ngannou? And if DC wins his title defence, especially if it's against Stipe, DC obviously moved down to light heavyweight to avoid the two of them having to fight. 
appreciate that there are a few ifs and buts, one of course being John Jones possibly fighting DC at heavyweight. Does Kane just wait for DC to retire before going for the title? We'd love to know your thoughts. Cheers. Yeah, there's no way they're fighting. Yeah, the, the, that's... It's not going sure, yeah, to happen. Sure. I was talking to Javier Mendez about this not too long ago. Like, um, not off the record, but we were just... You know, it wasn't for a, uh, an interview or something. Yeah. And um, I made a point, man. Like, do you understand what AKA has done? AKA let a guy like Luke Rockhold go and fight somewhere else but maintain affiliation. And I know the things with Koshchek didn't work out. Right. But generally speaking, to allow guys like Habib to come and go, to Rockhold to remain affiliated... And for Kane to take a backseat to DC, DC to take a backseat to Kane, to manage all of this and then still be able to say as a gym in the modern era, you had a middleweight, light heavyweight, two different heavyweight, and then a lightweight champion. Yeah. I said lightweight, middleweight, uh, light heavy, and then two different heavies. Dude, that is insane. That is an absolutely sterling record of achievement. Not merely because you trained good fighters and you recruited good fighters, but you managed personalities and competing professional interests in the same weight class at the same time. Yeah. That's unheard of. It's unheard of. The idea that those guys would then jeopardize that and throw all that away because, well, we're just stuck with no one else to fight. Yo, they'll fucking retire before yeah. they fight each other. It'll never happen. Yeah, it feels like they have a, a really close team, whereas other teams that are bigger, there's like teams within teams, you know? Um, not AK. AK, they're they're one solid pack. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Like uh, I think Kane is already has a position where like if he wins, he's probably gonna get an immediate title shot. Um, he was just gonna. I mean, he's already sat out for like a while. I think he's just gonna wait to see what happens with Cormier, and then once that's settled, he'll 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 go for for the belt. All right, let's do this. I gotta do these tweets, and then I gotta get out of here. Yeah. Good okay. job, my friend. Great great coverage all week. I really appreciate the job Thank you, you did. And, um, oh, yeah, well, uh, yes, that's fine. Um, oh, by the way, real quickly, I'm off next week. I, right. I got some other stuff to do for my other job, so we'll figure something out. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but um, I'll see your beautiful face on Thursday. All right? Uh, peace. All right, later, buddy. Time now, ladies and gentlemen, for a round of tweets. All right, clock starts when the first tweet goes up. Here we go. What did you think about Trevor Whitman? Seemed like John had to push him to talk. Thought he was uh, pretty quiet, but wrote quite, compared to other, but had some good things to add to commentary. Well, he may have been only talking when prompt because the producers may have told him, do not talk unless prompted. Remember, he was a guy that had a great corner uh, moment when he pulled the fight from Nate Marquardt. And so I think they thought, wow, this guy, he's trained champions and he knows how to corner. Let's see if we can have somebody talk about the corners themselves. But just talking about the corner is not all that interesting. Every fight, it can be very interesting. But to me, it's like, yes, if you want Trevor Whitman to do that, that's fine. And DC is a phenomenal commentator, but he's got a bit of a wrestling background. And that's no, that's an asset, not a hindrance. But you got a guy who's got a striking background like Trevor, the two together. I'm not saying he had to be another commentator, but maybe sort of alternating between I'm going to comment on the actual fights as well as the corners rather than just the corners is a better role. So they got some things to figure out, but he's amazing. Next. Uh, is there a beginning to be a trend of lighter champs having the better ability than the larger champs? With DC, Nunes, Connor, Cejudo, and even the natural back in the day, 
all beating the bigger foe. There might be something to it, don't misunderstand me, but a handful of fights is too small of a sample size to make any kind of general reading. But I'm willing to believe, like, like am I saying it's not true? I'm not saying it's not true. I just want to be very careful about drawing broad conclusions um, because size does matter in the positive sense. But yes, it, it is highly interesting that these smaller guys and ladies are winning. Next. Uh, will gray hair be the man bun of 2019, Luke? No, because a man bun is a choice. And you could say gray hair is a choice. No, hair dye is a choice. Gray hair is the uh, hand that I was dealt. And I am graying like it's a contest, bro. It is unbelievable. The color is just leaving my hair like life is leaving my body slowly and painfully. But I'm not going to do anything about it because that's what losers, losers dye their hair. I'm not one of those types. Next. Uh, okay. Do you guys think the UFC should implement a rule that the referee of any championship fight must have a certain number of events under his belt to be qualified? That way he will be concerned a bit more with allowing the fight to be conclusive before jumping in. Sure. I have no problem with that, but I suspect that the referee in question more than qualifies, uh, by any reasonable standard guys. I got, I've got terrible and or good news for you, depending on your perspective. I'm not going to tell you it's a sterling stoppage. I'm not going to tell you it's an amazing stoppage. It's a justifiable stoppage. It is. It's not a horrible one. It's justifiable. Uh, it's not clear that the guy should have been taking more punishment, and it's not clear that any action he was taking was overtly tactical in the sense that matters. It's an okay stoppage. Next. Uh, okay, so does Dana go after Yamasaki for letting guys get beat on too long, and now after Kevin McDonald for doing the exact opposite and making a great call, what gives? People see things different. I don't, I don't have much comment. I mean... What do you want me to say? Dana's going to say what he wants to say. and Yeah, I, I don't have a strong comment about it. Next. What are your thoughts on fatherhood driving fighters? Guys like Cerrone, Poirier, and others seem to find a new level after having a child. I'd love to get your thoughts before your baby comes. and would be curious to see if anything changes for you afterward. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm not a fighter, but um, I think for some fighters, it's not great. Some fighters would see it as a distraction. It would, be, it would be a hindrance for them. For others, it is the kind of thing that crystallizes why they're around and gives them purpose. So for some fighters, I think it can boost. For some fighters, I think it can be a hindrance. But in the cases you cite, Cerrone, Poirier, and others, quite clearly it's been good for them. Next. Uh, who would win, Rage and Al or Cowboy? Oof, tough. Maybe Rage and Al, but that's a competitive fight. And who is the tougher opponent for McGregor? P.S. Can I please be unlocked? Yes. I think I was supposed to unblock him before. I don't remember. Um, I'll probably go with Rage and Al. Who's a tougher opponent for McGregor? Probably go with Rage and Al. But I think both could be competitive. Next. Uh, why do people say people like Hardy are A-plus level athletes when they've been good at one sport that their physique built for, but not for five-round fights? So this person must not be from this country. Let me explain something to you guys from Europe here very quickly. I see a lot of people in Europe look at NFL highlights and say, oh, these guys don't know how to tackle. Please understand, not one of your rugby players would make a starting squad. They can barely make the NFL to begin with. And it's not because they're not good athletes. It's because you donks in Europe do not understand what you are looking at. I'm not asking you to like American football. Hell, after yesterday's results, I'm not sure I like it either. You have to understand, this is a country of nearly 400 million people. Our very best athletes, the guys who they get measured at the combine, what is the combine? When you are graduating from college and or declaring for the NFL draft, they go and measure. I know we have to stop. 
your physical skills. Let me finish the answer. And here's what happens. They test your high jump, your speed on the 40-yard dash, your bench press, all the physical things that tell us, although bench press is not necessarily much of an indication of strength. Nevertheless, their physicality is beyond compare, beyond compare. Now, yes, it is somewhat situated in the sense that it's meant for athletic short bursts rather than long five-round fights, but there are all different kinds of athleticism. Is Usain Bolt not as athletic as uh, Thor Bjornsson? They're different kinds of athletes. The guys who play in the NFL and the guys who are all pro in the NFL are stud athletes, some of the very best in the entire world. Greg Hardy is one of them. First of all, we haven't seen him in a five-round fight, so we don't know, and part of that is how you manage your energy, which we can also tell you he didn't really manage his energy all that well. How good of a fighter Greg Hardy will be, I don't know. How good of an athlete he is, oh, that's pretty high level, folks. Make no mistake about it. And if you're from America and you ask that question, shame on you. All right. Uh, But nevertheless, thanks for sending it on that highly positive note. Keep the questions coming using the hashtag TheMMAHour. Always call 844-866-2468. It'll be a couple of weeks before I see you on this program. I'll be back for the beat on Thursday. Until next time, stay frosty.